Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We uh, go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We're so glad you are joining us. This is episode 111. Uh, we are recording this Sunday, January 31st, 2021, at about 3 p.m. Pacific time. I am your host, Terry Plucknett. Joining me, as always, are Todd Plucknett, Zach Saltz, and Adam Daly. Hey, Adam. Hey, guys. What's going on? <laughs> How's it going? Yeah, so this is a kind of a special thing that we're doing. Uh, this is the first time that we are also recording video for our podcast, a regular podcast episode, because it is a very special episode as we're going over our top 10 of 2020. Um, and this is kind of cool. We're, we're all kind of in our own boxes here. So if you're listening on uh, on our regular podcast channel, you're, you're not seeing anything. It'll look exactly the same as normal. It'll sound exactly the same as normal. If you are watching us on YouTube, you actually get to see our faces and see us talking, which is pretty cool. So, uh, so yeah. How's it going, everybody? It's good. It's good. <laughs> Excellent. This is exciting. Normal. Normal. Wow. It, it was weird to actually have to have to worry about what was behind me this time. I, I've never have, <laughs> have had to worry about that before. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so before we get into actually talking movies... We just have to throw it out there. Zach, Super Bowl prediction. Uh, I'm going to go Chiefs 49, Buccaneers nothing. <laughs> First shutout in Super Bowl history. <laughs> Should have been the Seahawks, man. All right, Todd, what about you? 27-24, Bucks. Oh. Ooh. I, I... I scored last time. I'll go... Uh, I'll go... 30 21 Chiefs. Adam, how about you? Yeah, 27 21. The Tom Brady throws an interception at the goal line when they should have ran the football. Oh, as, as oh. time expires. I like it. I like it. Hey, because the only last time a team was trying to go win back to back Super Bowls was the Seahawks, and they went up against Tom Brady. And uh, for the on the second time, so the Chiefs trying to do the same thing. Who knows what could happen? That <laughs> uh, <laughs> is an interesting point. I saw a lot of parallels with Seahawks and Bills, and now we're seeing parallels of uh, Seahawks and Chiefs. It's not it's not good signs. Yeah, that's, let's not talk about that. Okay, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> Go Mariners! That's what I have to say. Go Mariners! Yeah. <laughs> Next coming year's quick. Our year. It's coming quick. Pitchers and catchers report soon. All right. Anyways, uh, make sure you subscribe, rate, review. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure that you uh, subscribe and like there. Oh, wow. Look at that. Oh We've God. even got a screen that pops up here. Yeah. So you can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher, on Pandora. I didn't have to remember it this time because it's on the screen. Yay. Um, and then uh, also make sure um, you find us on YouTube. Just subscribe everywhere. Just subscribe to all of them. It helps us out. Uh, it gives us a lot of uh, a, a lot of uh, a lot more opportunities for clicks. So make sure you do that. Uh, before we get started, I wanted to just mention this really quick uh, that we had, uh, Zach and I had some contact from an almost sideways fan uh, this morning um, that was a, 
buddy of ours from college, one Kyle Holvey. Shout out to Kyle Holvey. Nice. Uh, he uh, he was listening, and uh, apparently he couldn't sleep, so he threw on the Almost Sideways podcast. So I said it was very nice that he uh, considers our podcast his sedative. But um, <laughs> he, he said he was listening to the uh, to the uh, episode where we reviewed Hillbilly Elegy and was talking about uh, what what we thought of it how it compared to what other people have been saying about it and basically saying that he agreed with us and that it is a, it is a really good movie. And he would even go as far as saying it's a great movie. And he thought it was interesting how the three of us all uh, said we liked it for different reasons and thought it was about different things. And his point was, he thought it was um, it's all about codependency. And I thought that was really interesting because it kind of tied up all of our points together of what we were talking about. And uh, and really saw a lot of uh, a lot of tie-ins to everything that people don't like about the movie. If you view through the lens of that, it explains a lot of it. But so, anyways, yeah. Uh, shout out, Kyle. Uh, yeah, co- thanks co- for listening. Codependency is the, the operative word of this co- podcast. And <laughs> I would also point out that I, I, I swear, my right hand to God, until this moment. I thought we were talking to Kyle Heck. I didn't realize it was Kyle Holby. I got the wrong. I got the wrong Kyle H. I did not. Holby. I just saw Kyle H. I thought it was, it was Kyle Holby. Heck. I felt like he would be more likely of a listener than Kyle Holby. But I know, you know, shout out to Kyle Heck. I'm sure you're listening too. Holby's much more likely to be an insomniac, though. I mean, let's face now, it. That's probably true. <laughs> Oh, oh man! Can you That's see Kyle funny. Heck liking Hillbilly Elegy as well? It's a Kyle Heck movie. I yeah, I can see that. I can see that. <laughs> Already, we're alienating all those listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're yeah. unsubscribing. Really except quickly. for except for Holvey, apparently. Okay, well, uh, Todd, what are you drinking? I am going back to my normal South Shot small batch bourbon whiskey. Closing there the year out right. Very nice, very nice. Adam, how about you? I'm going, there's a beverage here, man. This is a white Russian and one of those workout shaking shaker cans. Oh, I thought you fed your child that. Looks like, <laughs> like. No. <laughs> no, 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 not that bad. Uh, yeah. Zach, what do you have? So I, I got this as a free beverage for having to wait for uh, sushi for an hour on Friday night. Don't what? order sushi on friday nights people um this is called hana awaka awaka sparkling flower i didn't know it was alcoholic until i started drinking it so it's awesome man would three stars would recommend very nice nice pink drink well i just opened it though i mean how (laughs) there was another one Oh, okay. Yeah, sure, okay. <laughs> no, it was a tasting last night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I went to the brewery and I I was gonna get a, a growler filled, but instead I was like I I was like we're celebrating 2020 if that's even the right word, memorializing it. You could almost say, and I had to come up with something good. So I found this beer. This is out of I think it's out of San Diego. Yeah, out of San Diego, California, and it is a double IPA hazy and uh it is called 2020 well that was fun said no one nice so good stuff man i, I felt like it was appropriate for the for the timing cheers Looks cheers like uses the same font as the font of promising young woman <laughs> it's quite possible all right 
Well, we're just going to hop right into this. Uh, usually, we reveal our top 10 of the year a little sooner than we are doing uh, right now. However, this is a weird year. And especially with the fact that we still have another month before the Oscar window is closed. And Oscars aren't until the end of April. And theaters are still closed. There's a lot of movies that even now that none of us have seen that are 2020 movies that we are hoping or we've heard great things about things like Nomadland and Minari and the father that we haven't had a chance to see yet. Hopefully at some point soon we will, but we wanted to put this list out there uh, now after we've gave ourselves an extra month to get caught up on some things. So we're going to talk about our top movies of 2020 I know we are doing a lo- something that a lot of critics are doing, but not all are doing and still calling it movies released in 2020, where I know some are looking at it in terms of Oscar window and extending it through the end of February. Um, that that would be called the wrong way to do it. We're doing it the right way and keeping it to the year. Uh, so this is movies released during 2020. And that's what we're going to be looking at. So. To start with, we are going to start by revealing our bottom five, and we'll just go around and go five, four, three, two, one, and then uh, we'll we'll go through our our top ten. And do we want to do honorable mention before we reveal the top ten or after? I'm thinking after. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Okay. What's the what's the over and under? We kind of like we always put this out there too. What's the over under for overlap? Oh, so we gosh. have it on on record. Six and a half, yeah. baby. I'm taking the over. Four. Four. I'll go three and a half. It's going under that. I, yeah, I'm, I'm saying that any overlap, right? Any overlap. Any overlap. Any overlap. Okay, no, last year it was like nine. Yeah, that's what I'm exactly. thinking. That's what I'm saying. I'm going. I'm going eight. I'm going over under eight, or I'll is go the, seven and a half. Is price, seven and a half. Is this the Price Is Right? Where if you go too high, you lose. Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. One dollar. Okay. I bid one dollar. I'm gonna go four. <laughs> I think it's going to be four movies that's going to overlap. Four. Uh, okay. Well, let's uh, let's start this out, and and we'll kind of we'll start in the in the top right and kind of work our way around. So we'll go Todd, Adam, me, Zach. Zach, you get a finish like you wanted to. So we'll go bottom five first. So Todd, give us your bottom five of twenty twenty. Okay, so I've seen 134 movies from 2020. <laughs> Good my grief, dude. Thumbs up percentage is 52.98%. So my bottom five would be my number 130 through my number 134. Uh, so my fifth worst movie of the year was Borat's subsequent movie film because <laughs> it was just an atrocity and it's not really even a movie and it takes all the things about Sasha Baron Cohen that we don't like and it expands upon them. <laughs> Terrible movie. Um, I disagree. Number four is Happiest Season, which we reviewed on the podcast. Just a a stupid, badly written Hallmark movie with a really cool cast. Uh, number three is The Jesus Rolls, which oh, I, yeah. I had to watch it three different times because I kept falling asleep. It's, it's just, <laughs> I mean, it's reprehensible how bad this movie is. Uh, number two is The Prom, which is just the, the Hollywood musicals at its absolute worst. I reviewed that on the podcast as well. And number one, worst movie of the year is one of the first movies I saw in 2020 and it remained there. It is the last thing he wanted, uh, the D Rees movie. And I feel like I should give it another chance, but I really don't want to. Nice. I understand that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> All right. 
Adam, now I think you've already revealed this, but go ahead for the sake of, of this episode. Reveal your uh, your bottom five. Yeah, so I, I made a video for YouTube because uh, I do that every, almost every year. I like to talk about my top ten worst movies. But um, uh, number five, I'm going to go with Buddy Games, which was uh, Josh Jumel, whatever how you say his last name. Uh, but that was his directorial debut, and it was just basically one of this kind of like Happy Madison really like knockoff type of type of films so it's really really horrible like nick swartzen shows up and it's just a bunch of guys doing vulgar humor and it wasn't funny at all uh number four is he told you if he didn't get nominated for an oscar he was gonna make a bad movie and that's hubie halloween with adam sandler uh it wasn't atrocious but it's something that just was not my humor i can't see a grown man doing fart and puke jokes for (laughs) 90 minutes anymore it's just it's just sad especially after i've seen uncut gym so many times now so uh, number three i have coffee and kareem another great cast with ed holmes and taraji p henson's another netflix film just little kids doing uh saying bad words it's kind of reminded me of kind of um what's that bad boy or good boys or whatever uh, from the year before but not as good at all or yeah, Good Boys was actually pretty decent. But uh, number two, I have one of my screen, my first screeners I ever got from Netflix. Now was the Holiday, where uh, yeah, Emma Emma Roberts shows up with uh, Chris Hemsworth knockoff, and uh, they just basically started dating each other during the holidays. And then the, the one the guy gets feelings for the girl, and it's it's typical romance cliches throughout the thing, and it's just uninteresting. And number one worst film is Artemis Fowl. No wonder Disney decided they're just going to drop this on Disney Plus, just under the radar, no promotion material because it is horrible. So, yeah, pretty uh, pretty bad top five movies for me anyway. All right. All right. It's my turn. All right. Bottom five. This, this first one might be a little controversial. I don't really care. My number five on my bottom five is Tenet. Oh, my God. Yeah. Shots fired. I watched this for the first time wow. this, uh, this last week. I tried to do some catching up. Um, yeah, this, I mean, I'm a huge Nolan fan. Like, Inception was my number one of the 2010s, like the entire decade. Um, Interstellar was okay. I could see what he was trying to do there, willing to give it another shot. Tenet, it felt like, I want to do these cool special effects. Well, what's the plot? Does it matter? We're going to have cool special effects. And there really doesn't feel like there is one. And whatever there is, you don't really care. Uh, The script is lousy. The story is non-existent. Yeah, some of the visuals are cool but it's not really worth it at all. Um, I'm willing to give Interstellar another chance. I don't know if I care enough to give Tenet another chance. So it's number five on my bottom five. Oh, and if I meant to say... If you it in the theater, it would have been different. That I, I agree completely. If I had seen yeah. it in the theater, there w- I probably would have had a different experience, but I didn't, and so it sucked. Um, these are, I will say, these are the only five movies I gave under two stars to this year. So there you go. So that's kind of my my bar there. Uh, number four on my bottom five is The Lovebirds with uh, Kumail Nanjiani and Issa Rae. Uh, another one I was looking forward to, nowhere near as much as Tenet, but uh, one I was looking forward to and just disappointed. It just fell flat. Wasn't fun that, at all. Number three, She Dies Tomorrow. Uh, we reviewed this one. Oh, on, <laughs> I, was, I, I had no idea what was going on. And again, it was like, I don't really care. It did nothing to make me care. It was a complete what the hell is going on. Uh, yeah, just bad. Uh, number two uh, is, I think, going to pop up on another list that Zach's about to read off. That's Desperados. The uh, <laughs> Nassim Pedrad, uh, Lamorne Morris straight to Netflix movie that came out over the summer. 
it's pretty horrible. Yeah. Uh, and, and you you at least need to have connect and somewhat like the characters in some way, shape, or form to enjoy the movie. And number one is uh, another straight to Netflix. I watched uh, uh, Mrs. Serial Killer. Uh, it was my first oh, yeah. uh, delve into Bollywood, and uh, yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty horrible. It's about a a woman, or it's about a guy who gets uh, arrested for being a serial killer, and his wife decides to try and prove his innocence by uh, performing copycat murders, and spoiler alert he actually was guilty so when he gets out he continues to kill people uh, and it was it played it almost like a slapstick comedy at times it was weird so uh that's my that's my bottom five wow that's like five or six netflix movies and tenet oh. Oh, yeah yes <laughs> yeah. was the next one up from borat so <laughs> okay okay all right zach yeah, all, all these controversial takes, man. Like Bor- Borat, you know, number Tony Scott's number one movie and Tenant. Well, I'm going to make my controversial take as my number five worst movie of the year. It's a movie that will get nominated for several Oscars. And maybe it wasn't that bad, but I'm really annoyed that it's getting all the, the love that it's getting. And that is Mank. I think Mank sucks. I mean, it was lifeless, dull, predictable, didn't really have anything new to offer. Um, and I hate Gary Oldman. So it just, uh, for, for, for me, was a mess. And there were certain other podcasts out there that I shall not mentioned that Todd knows about that love talking about Mank and talk about it all the freaking time. And I don't want to listen to the Mank podcast anymore. Okay. So let's move on. Number four. I'm sorry. I have a little bit of irrational anger toward that movie. Number four is uh, the devil all the time, which we reviewed on this podcast. Um, again, not really, not a terrible movie, but one that had a lot of missed opportunities given the cast. Uh, I fell asleep multiple times during it, by the way, but me falling asleep is usually a good marker of a movie that's going to end up uh, on the bottom end of my list. Um, and inexplicably had Tom Holland as the greatest shot since Doc Holliday. So, um, you know, just to try ignore it, trash a bad movie. Number three, three we didn't talk about this movie on the podcast i know todd didn't like it i didn't like it either it is the life ahead the supposedly um sophia loren oscar vehicle which you know on the on if you look at the poster of it you read this plot synopsis it sounds kind of interesting a remake of madame rosa which is this really good 1970s movie it is garbage it is a stinker man it is so predictable hokey trite cliche everything you could think of um even though it's not an english language it's amazing it's like uh they watch hollywood movies or something number two is a movie that is also a controversial take. It might end up on Todd's best of the year list. I wouldn't be surprised. It is I'm Thinking of Ending Things, the Charlie Kaufman movie, which, I mean, yeah, it went over my head, okay? It's 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 like uh, what, what Tenet was for Terry. This movie is for me. It makes no sense. Someone, uh, you know, write a 300-page tr- uh, diatribe treatise uh, looking at all the metaphors of it, and I will not read it. And the number one worst movie of the year, Terry already spoiled it for everybody, it is Desperados. If you want a terrible time at the movies, you want to feel terrible about yourself for having to endure something for 95 minutes that you'll never get back go ahead and watch desperados because uh, it's genuinely terrible i mean it's not even like awesomely bad like you no, can enjoy how bad it, it is it's, it's just not a bad. pleasurable experience it's not no. a pleasurable experience at all it's painful uh seven netflix movies and one disney plus film well i mean was there anything else to watch there was some, there was some decent stuff. There was some that's stuff. A good yeah. point. That's a good point. I found some bad ones. Yeah, I I, uh, I like the fact that we have uh, that we have um, Netflix this year has committed to releasing a new Netflix original every week. 
I mean, it, it, at least we're going to make sure we have good con or content. Not, I won't say good, but none of us had to watch any of these movies three times like Todd did for the Jesus movie, right? I mean, that just sounds painful. <laughs> I know. I was looking forward to that too because I don't know that that was that movie had been in the works for a long time, and he finally got it made, and it was just bad. You just got to okay. give up on it, man. It's like a hospital patient; you can't resuscitate that thing. Just call it, man. <laughs> Not gonna lie, it took me probably about two and a half times to get all the way through Mank. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, several excursions was not worth it. Dead on arrival, man. Just you know, call it, put it in the body bag, send it to the cellar. It's over. I don't, I don't sign off on that take. <laughs> I mean, I still ended up giving it three stars because I appreciated what it was doing, but yeah, it 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 took a while to to actually dredge through it. Okay, so there's the bottom five, and now it's time to get to the top ten. And then at the end of this whole thing, uh, we will reveal our uh, our top five of our site for uh, for 2020 as well. So we'll have that coming up too. We'll go in the same order. So Todd, number ten, best film of 2020. Well, first my blind spots so far. I saw yeah, oh, No Man Land, The Father, and Minari, along with another round. I think has potential to be on my list. Uh, mm, Bloody Nose, yeah. Empty Pockets, Martin Eden. All of the Apple TV Plus movies and News of the World, I need to see all of those, and none of those are going to be on this list because I haven't seen them. So my number 10 is a documentary that is available on Showtime. It is Belushi, directed by RJ Cutler. And this it really like snuck up on me more than uh, any documentary in like, the last few years. Like It's a collection of previously unheard recordings of John Belushi uh, from the people around him, which were interviews taken uh, when they were writing an oral history book about him in 2005. And it's, it gives you just fascinating footage of him and like in his early years in comedy shops at second city on radio shows and, you know, making his way up the ranks to be like, you know, SNL King and the biggest movie star in the world. I have always liked Belushi, but this paints him as being this like misunderstood genius who's getting, you know, bogged down by the pressure of his own fame and resorting to drugs and alcohol to cope and maintain his uh, his legacy. It, I only knew the basic details of his demise, but it's like heartbreaking hearing accounts from like Dan Aykroyd and others who saw signs of that coming and they couldn't really do anything about it. It's, it has a classic rise and fall documentary format, but it's better than the Robin Williams one. It's better than the Heath Ledger one. Those are just basically like hagiographies like but this is like a truly great movie. And there's a reason why they're making a narrative film about John Belushi. It's because he's a fascinating character and he had a tragic story. Along with Love and Tosha, I think it's the best like celebrity documentary since Cobain Montage of Heck. In a normal year, I probably would consider this not eligible, but it's 2020, so screw it. My number 10 is Belushi. Very nice. Very nice. nice. Pick, man. It's about John Belushi, not Jim, right? Yes. For sure. John. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Although enough. Jim is in the movie too. Nice. I, I'm sure he would be. So I forgot to mention before we started. So we're gonna try something here so that we don't like overlap talking about the same movies multiple times. If somebody brings up a movie on their top ten and uh it's a movie that's going to come up on somebody else's top ten, we can like interject and so we only talk about the movie once instead of talking about it multiple times just to try and keep the uh keep the conversations from having to, you know, rehash the same ones over and over again. Um, and we were trying to come up with a word. Did we did we decide on one? Yeah, Merlot. 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 Okay. I was trying to come up with a good almost famous word and I didn't I couldn't think of anything. 
like Gestapo tactics. That'd be fun. <laughs> no, anyways, all right, Merlot. So, if, so as someone starts talking, as soon as they reveal, if if someone says Merlot, that means it will be appearing on their list, and we're going to wait to uh, table that discussion until it pops up. Okay, so that's that. That was Todd's number ten. Adam, I still don't, I still don't understand that rule, but let's do it, man. <laughs> excited. Drink some of that pink drink. You'll understand. I will. I will. <laughs> All you need to know is if something comes up that, that you haven't talked about yet, you haven't talked about that's on your list, and somebody right. brings it up, just say right. Merlot, and then like, I'm not we'll drinking any of that. Belushi, no, no one had Belushi on their list then. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Nobody All had. Right. No one else had Belushi. That's what. Have that you guys meant. seen it? No. no, that's on my list to watch. Well, that's unfortunate. <laughs> it's on Showtime. All right, know. Adam, number ten. All right, so coming up to my blind spots that I need to see. Obviously, The Father, Minari, and No Man Land. Um, Black Bear was one with Aubrey Plaza. Baby oh, yeah. Teeth. Uh, Baby Teeth is an I believe it's an Australian film. I could be wrong, but uh, Weathering with You, which is from the same uh, creators of Your Name, so I gotta watch that one. And First yeah. Cow, First Cow. That's the other one that I need to watch too. So there's probably some more. But uh, yeah, that's what I wrote down. So uh, my number 10 is a fantastic horror film that really gets that uh, body horror going on. And that is a film directed by Brandon Cronenberg. And that is Possessor. This is a fascinating film that I absolutely love. It has some of the best sound design and uh, interesting plot and really gruesome in-your-face horror. And uh, you're thinking about some of uh, his father's work. Like I'm thinking of, like The Fly. It's, it rarely resembles. Like you can definitely see his son really learned from his father's work. And he put a lot of his heart and soul into this film. Uh, it's a really interesting plot too, where you have these this like these agents to possess different people, and they go out and do these hits or and these these little missions. And it's there's a lot of really cool brutality, brutal moments in this film. I really enjoyed the performances from Andrea Risenborough um, and also Christopher Abbott. And then of course Sean Bean's in this movie, so he's probably most likely going to die at some point in the film. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he, he always does, but Possessor, man, there, this was some really cool, fascinating stuff. And there was some stuff that I, I wanted to look away, but I couldn't because I was just so in awe of what they were able to pull off. And I couldn't get this film out of my head. I, I wanted to make sure that I want, I like movies. Maybe I gave of like a, four, a little higher rating, like a four star rating. I didn't want to, I dropped that out of my top 10 faster than I wanted to. I wanted to keep this in there because I think this film definitely needs to be seen, especially if you're a fan of some gross out in your face body horror. So possessor for me number 10 yeah that's right. a good movie i i agree and I, I thought it was most similar to existence um the cronenberg movie and uh yeah. plus i mean it has jennifer jason lee in it as well so oh, yeah. parallel so good good cast there too man everybody brings their a-game on this yeah some of the all best right. sound design of the year too so oh nice nice <clears throat> all, all right, right. So my uh, first blind spots, a lot of the same ones you guys have been saying. Um, I didn't write anything down for that, but uh, but Nomadland, Minari, The Father are the main ones. I want to make sure I still get a chance to see another round, another one that you guys said. Uh, so Todd gave his stats at the beginning. I'll give mine to just show how insane Todd is. This was like a banner year for me. More films I've, I've watched um, at this point. Uh, for a year than ever before, and that is 68. Yes, that is half of what Todd watched for the entire year. Um, so I've watched 68 2020 movies. Um, I have my thumbs up percentage is 71%, so definitely more than Whoa. Todd. 
Yeah. Um, however, I will say, so I, I rank my movies on a scale of a hundred and uh, the way I, the way I see it is if it's an 80 or above, it's a three-star movie. So my average for the year was 81.4. So that was my overall average. And it, oh, so right around where it should be of, so there's ones I liked a lot ones that I didn't. So anyways, that's that. And then I had 10 four-star movies, which worked out nicely because wow. we're doing a top 10. So, uh, so with all that said, time to get to my top 10. And number 10 on my list is Wolfwalkers. Uh, yes. This is the, uh, yeah, this is the um, <laughs> Apple TV Plus uh, animated movie that uh, probably will get nominated for Best Animated. Yeah. Uh, it is uh, directed by Tom Moore and Ross Stewart, who are the people behind Song of the Sea and Secret of Kells, which got some notoriety when they came out. Secret of Kells was nominated for Best Animated as well. Uh, I haven't seen those. This is the first one I've seen. And it is uh, just amazing, astounding, um, just beautiful film hmm. about uh, about this village and this girl who, um, who is, wants to be a hunter like her dad. Uh, her dad, who is voiced by one Sean Bean again, um, and uh, and the little girl looks just like Saoirse Ronan. I mean, I know it's an Irish thing, but I, for whatever reason, she seems to be modeled after her. So the main character, Robin, she goes out in the forest, uh, and they're hunting wolves, and she finds the the mythical wolf walkers. These uh, these humans who, when they fall asleep, they turn into wolves, and they can talk to the wolves. They control the wolves. Uh, they have special healing powers. It is such a cool movie um, that says a lot about uh, where you fit in the world and stigma, and um, also just has a lot of a lot of heart to it. It's really suspenseful. It's beautifully drawn. It's definitely drawn animation, and it it's awesome with that as well. Uh, yeah, so that's my number ten, Wolfwalkers. Ah, such a good movie. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great it. one. It's good Apple one. TV Plus. Nobody Apple TV it. Plus. Yeah, just missed I know. out of my top ten. Just missed it's out. like four ninety nine a month though. I mean, it's it's like the cheapest streaming service, and they've got a lot of great content on there. Yeah, I mean, not right. as much as the other places. Sure. No, but the other places charge more than four ninety nine a month. <laughs> All right, sure. Zach, number ten. Okay, so uh, I have a lot of the same blind spots as everybody. Um, the only ones I would add are 63 Up. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Michael Abbott. I don't know if that's ever going to be available to watch. And I still have yet to see Tenet. I just, I don't know. I've heard so many bad things about it. I, 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 don't, I don't look forward to, to watching it, but I will at some point. Um, I gave it a positive review. I know you liked it, Todd. I, there's, there's a chance I'll like it just to be contrarian. Todd, I think um, you liked it simply because you got to see it in the theaters. Like, it yeah. was your return to theater movie. True. Yeah. Um, all right, so uh, I saw 75 movies this year. I gave thumbs up to 51 of them. Um, and uh, there are two movies this year that almost made me cry. Like, I got really close. Both of them are on my top 10 list, and one of them is my number 10 movie, which is also going to be the only documentary on my list. Um, I hope it gets a documentary nomination at the Oscars this year, and that is Crip Camp, which is a movie that was released to Netflix earlier this summer, produced by Higher Ground Productions, Barack and Michelle Obama. 
They were. They also produced my number two movie of last year, which was also a documentary called American Factory. This is an awesome documentary that uh, profiles. Um, it actually is sort of like almost two stories in one. The first part of the story profiles this summer camp called Camp Jeanette that existed primarily in the 60s and 70s. That was a camp for uh, children with disabilities, uh, teenagers with disabilities. Um, and the second part of the story is how a lot of these campers grew up to be uh, disability advocates, and they got a lot of their um, sort of advocacy and um, kind of, uh, you know, public policy sort of mindset um, through their experiences as teenagers at this camp, which was very kind of forward thinking in the sense of, hey, we should treat children with disabilities the same way as we treat children without disabilities. Like, let's just, you know, have normal activities, have fun, get, you know, let's have them, you know, date each other and, you know, play baseball and do all this this normal summer camp things that they haven't been able to do. Really, really awesome documentary. I think it's profoundly moving in, in the sense that there's a, such a strong sense of solidarity. And it tells a story that, frankly, doesn't get oftentimes told. The disability rights movement in this country gets often ignored as a subset or completely different from the civil rights movement in this country. Um, they talk about the Section 504 and Americans with Disabilities Act later in the movie. These people are heroic. Um, it's an amazing uh, underdog story that um, I think you'll be hard-pressed to watch and not be moved. So uh, definitely. Definitely the best documentary I saw this year. Crip Camp, check it out. Nice. I think we just, uh, as film independent, you're getting those uh, screeners just came out for that for your consideration for Crip Camp too. So, yeah, I think that's going to. I think that's a good solid chance to get a nomination too. One I've missed out on so far. Barack and Michelle are two and zero for you know, <laughs> Zach uh, top ten list. So they're doing some great stuff at Higher Ground Productions. There you go. There you go. I'm I'm sure they'll be happy to hear that. That uh, I'm sure. I'm. Yeah, they're listeners, you know. Higher ground is Axel's approved. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Todd. Number nine. My number nine is a movie directed by the Rizza. It is Cutthroat yeah. City, wow, okay. uh, cool. which uh, is on Netflix, Hoopla, and Spectrum. Uh, it takes place. After Hurricane Katrina, where four friends who are living with basically nothing and are denied any help from FEMA. So they kind of take it back from the government by robbing a casino. And then after that, they sort of escalate the danger in each one of their jobs. uh, And it kind of becomes more about making a point than it is about actually making money. The movie has a killer cast. Uh, Ethan Hawke, Terrence Howard, Rob Morgan, who I feel like was in every 2020 movie, uh, Wesley (laughs) Snipes, and T.I. is the MVP of the movie. He is amazing, and I think he actually was good enough to be nominated. Uh, Shamake Moore from Dope, he is uh, basically the main character, and he's fantastic as well. It's a movie that initially, for me, was surprising that it was good, and then just got more and more intense, and I actually felt it in the end. Cutthroat City, I have no problems putting in my top ten. It's my number nine. Nice. I've heard about this movie. A lot of people spoke highly of it. That's uh, that's cool. Well, and it's got a four point eight on IMDb, which is just that's just ludicrous. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> that's horrible. Yeah, <laughs> critic scores are, mu- are much more aligned with my taste. Is yeah. Right? Wow. Wow. That's impressive. That's impressively bad. Wow. Okay. Adam, number nine. All right. I have a feeling this is going to be Merlot, uh, but my number nine. And I'm going to guess it's going to be Zach who's going to Merlot it. Um, never, sometimes, rarely, always. That's I've, I've never heard of that movie. I've, I've heard of never, rarely, sometimes, always. But oh, what did I say? Knows the title this time. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you said, it wasn't the title. Okay. 
Well, ne- I'm a, I can edit this. Never, rarely, sometimes, always. <laughs> no, 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 this is all staying in. This is all staying in. <laughs> but I want to hear what Adam has to say about it, though. Like, we'll, I, we'll talk intrigued. about it when you when it's on your list, Zach. And he'll and he will st- he will talk about. It. Is it on How your list? Now? On my list. Because <laughs> he gave it four stars. <laughs> so is it on your list? We're not talking about it again until I bring it up. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Or until wow. the next person. Yeah. Until the one who has it highest. And then how do we know? Well, then we'll because then if it was on like my list, I would say Merlot or whatever. And then, then if it was on your list, it. even higher, then we talk about it when it's the highest one. All right. Okay. We're, play, I, I, we're almost sideways. The place of movie conversation. So we'll save that for us a big conversation piece. <laughs> I'm, I'm Merlot with that. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Uh, number nine on my list then uh, is. Another animated movie. I'm going with Soul for my number nine. Merlot. Uh, Merlot. Okay, there we go. We'll talk about it later. Wow. I just like that I'm starting my list with two animated movies. So good. deal with that. Okay. That means that we're was going to be higher. Possible. Zach, number nine. Oh, this movie's not going to be Merlot because no one's seen it or heard of it. Although maybe. I don't know. Who knows? Have um, you seen it, Zach? I have seen it. <laughs> Believe it or not. <laughs> no, no. Um, no uh, so this is actually the Icelandic um, n- submission for the 2020 Academy Awards. No, no Merlot? Okay. I didn't think so. Um, it Eurovision? Is, no, it's not Eurovision. <laughs> it does not star Will Ferrell. Um, it is a movie called A White White Day, and it is directed ah. by someone named Hilner Palmason. Yeah. Palmason. Um and it tells the story of a semi-retired like police guy, a police officer captain. He's played by Ingvar Snugsen. I can't pronounce Icelandic. Uh, but I love uh, your accent, though. I, hey, I'm trying. Um, and uh, he is uh, a recent widower. In the opening scene, his wife drives off drives off a cliff. That's not a spoiler. But um, the rest of the movie is him kind of piecing together why his wife commits suicide. He has this kind of interesting extended family. He's very close with his granddaughter, and he's um, also in the process of working on his house. And so the movie had the movie's almost like a kid with ADD in a way because there are a lot of like weird cutaways. Like there's this one time where he throws a rock off the cliff and then there's like 60 seconds of the camera following the rock there's another scene where his granddaughter's watching this really strange schizophrenic Icelandic kids TV show and it's just like a close up of it for five minutes I think it's kind of fascinating um some people may get anno- uh, bo- annoyed with it or bored with it. Um, it's a really interesting movie that has a, a secret kind of droll sense of humor, but it's actually also a look at this guy's sort of descent into, I don't know if I'd call it madness or insanity, but serious grief and um, PTSD issues with the with the loss of his wife. He becomes obs- obsessed with this idea that she was cheating on him. Uh, really good movie if you like that kind of European art sensibility. It reminded me a little bit of Michael Haneke's movies, um, but with Aki Kurismaki sort of, again, droll, uh, sly sense of humor. Really good movie. Um, I'd highly recommend it, and I hope it gets an Oscar nomination. It is called A White White Day with a lot nice. of long Icelandic names in it. I don't know how you botched the first guy's name. It's, it's Sigurdsson. Like, that isn't even that hard. Like, the other two. <laughs> well, his character name is Ingmungar, but it sounded a lot more natural when you're watching the movie. The name is Farrell. Will Farrell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just came across this on Amazon. 
I was yeah, I was scrolling through there. And I actually remember seeing that title. Sounded interesting. Yeah, Donald Trump also likes the title, but I don't think he likes it. <laughs> white, white, low blow, low blow. Yeah. Higher ground, Zach. Okay, uh, <laughs> number eight to Todd. Go for it. Uh, so my number eight is Soul, <laughs> the Disney Plus movie. And are we good? No one else has it. Okay, um, we're the only two that have it. What? Okay. It is about a high school music teacher who accidentally dies. I guess he can accidentally die on on his way to his uh, on the day of his big break. So we uh, see the adventure. His soul goes to uh, be reunited with his body. And Pixar is a studio of ideas. This is another great idea. But Pete Docter is the one who can make the most emotionally resonant and and most complicated films. It's funny and tragic, and I think it's really deeply emotional. It's unlike anything I've really ever seen, other than maybe Inside Out, which also was Pete Doctor, and uh, and that's more because of its execution and animation style more than anything. Uh, I think it's a movie that's easy to get swept up in, but it's not the movie that's easiest to take in. Uh, it explores ideas about your subconscious and your reason for living and living life to the fullest. Uh, and it also centers on an adult, which is not normal for Pixar. Maybe that ups the emotional ante just a tad for me. Um, so yeah, my number eight is soul. Nice. Yeah. So I get to talk about this a little bit too. Um, and, uh, yeah, I always felt like it was, um, I, I always felt like it was like, uh, like, uh, inside out for grownups. And, and I, I think I said that when we reviewed it too, and cause it has a lot of the same emotional resonance that, that inside out does, except it has this, this more adult vibe to it. Uh, I thought it was really interesting um, I put the two animated movies, nine and 10 on my list. And what's fascinating about it is Wolf Walkers is amazing because of it's um, because of how, how rough around the edges it is. Like you can still like see the, like uh, the like drawing marks on some of the, some of the things. One of the things that makes soul so great is how polished it is and how just beautiful the, the cinematography of the animation is. And that adds so much to it as well. And the emotional resonance of it. I mean, it, it just cuts you to the core. And so, uh, so yeah, it, it had to be on my list as well. It's a good movie. Yeah, I feel like there's always a, a spot on our list for, for Pixar. Always, always. Unless it's, you know, like, what, Cars 3 or something like that. So in your opinion, Terry, does Soul have the inside tracker? Because there's a lot of Wolfwalkers fans out there. I mean, it has a big following. I, I think it's either going to be Soul or Wolfwalker. I think Wolfwalkers yeah. could pull it off. Yeah, I, I thought that about that dumb Christmas movie on Netflix last yeah, year. Yeah, Klaus almost pulled it and, off uh, there too. No, but then it, it, it's always Soul <laughs> Pixar. Yeah, it, it's. I, I think. I think it's going to be Soul. I think what has Wolfwalkers getting a little bit of a boost is the fact that it is on Apple TV Plus. It's very readily available and it's easy to find. Um, we don't have it. it. What? People don't have Apple TV. I know. Plus. I know. And well, and Klaus was on Netflix. So, but. I would say Klaus being on Netflix was the only thing that got it nominated, but um, it's still soul. It, it, it's it's got to still be soul. Everyone's going to be rooting for Wolf Walkers, but when it comes down to it, it's going to be soul. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. All, All right. right. So then Fine. let's see here. Who who are we? I'm I feel off. Oh, it's Adam. Adam, Adam. number eight. Number eight for Adam. I'm going to do reaction shot here because this could be a conversation starter. Number eight. Tenet with Christopher <laughs> Nolan. <Nice. laughs> 
I, I was wondering if you were going to Merlot my bottom five list, but <laughs> you had a feeling. <laughs> All right. So I'm, I'm talking tenant here. Okay. So this is one that I did not see in theater. I wish I, I wish I did. And I've been kind of critical on some of Christopher Nolan's films recently. Like uh, Dunkirk was, didn't re- really care for Dunkirk too much. And Interstellar was, it was okay. But tenant for me was a very, a very interesting movie. Do I understand everything that happened on the first time? No. Do I, did I like it better the second time? Absolutely. But watching it on a four, my four, the 4k version of it with my decent sound system, I actually thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I was piecing it together. I liked the performance from John David Washington and Robert Pattinson. And heck, if Christopher Nolan wants to do a James Bond movie, he basically kind of did it with this film. I think, I think it's a good little, would be, uh, it'd be really interesting to do. And it was a cool heist film. I was kind of just on the edge of my seat watching this movie and it was so, it was pretty dang cool. Like, granted, you can say what you want about the plot, but it was a cool movie to watch for me, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And sometimes for 2020, having an enjoyable experience watching a film kind of gives it the boost above some other movies, and that's why it's in my top ten pretty easily. It is Christopher Nolan's worst movie. No, Christopher Nolan's worst movie. The Prestige at least had, like, it had you interested until the end, and the twist just sucked. Tenet Stellar is a legitimately bad movie, Terry. But at, but at least Interstellar yeah. had was trying to say something. This isn't trying to say anything. I mean, all right, I am putting this in the same category as like Mad Max Fury Road. Cool to look at, but no plot, and so I hated it. And so and, we'll be on critics all decade list. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, what didn't we say last time? Like Bardinelli has his number one of the year. Or something yeah. like that, right? Yeah. yeah. That's not a shocker. It's just, uh, yeah. I, I've got it ranked right now as Nolan's worst movie he's ever done. He's That was the fourth Christopher Nolan movie he's put as his number one. So that's <laughs> not shocking. Give me, give me one second here. Let me take a look here. Okay, there we go. That's more yeah. like it. <laughs> Harry, we don't need him. <laughs> Tenet hater. <laughs> you haven't even seen it, Zach, and you're going to hate it too. You're gonna oh, I'm going to be contrarian me. now. I, I, now that, uh, yeah, like you was with Hillbilly Elegy. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to Kyle Heck about Tenet. That'd be good. <laughs> one, one of the Kyles. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's, I think it's me next, right? It's me at uh, number eight, right? Yeah, number yeah. eight. Okay, so number eight for me. Uh, we're getting into the uh, like Todd said. We have we we the rules don't really apply because it's uh because it's 2020, and so number eight for me is Red, White, and Blue, the uh, third part of the Small Axe anthology by Steve McQueen. Um, this was I I loved this part. I I thought it was amazing. Uh, John Boyega shows so much more than he has before that he is so much so much more than just star Wars uh, as he plays this um, based on true story, this uh, man who was a scientist, he went to school to become a scientist and gave all that up to uh, become a police officer and try to enact change in some of the systemic racism happening in London from the inside. Um, I felt like this did so well, everything that um, that black Klansmen messed up, where Spike Lee in Black Klansman was trying to manipulate the audience and tell them over and over again, this is what you should be feeling. Uh, this was so very raw and just real and told the story unapologetically. And um, and because of that, you felt the emotion you were supposed to feel. And I just felt it was a beautiful film. It was a beautiful performance. 
and uh and yeah definitely belonged on my list so uh nine number eight is red white and blue discussion <laughs> that was the weakest one of the five but i mean you could have the other ones higher than it so i guess we might agree <laughs> it's not the only submission from Smolik on my list did not get merlot terry no yeah that, i know I, I had a feeling it wasn't going to but all right okay zach number eight i have a feeling my number eight might get merlot it was my favorite comedy this year and we reviewed it on the podcast we all loved it it is palm springs Merlot. 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 Okay, we're moving on. Wow. Maybe we'll make all of our lists. That would be something. That that was impressive right there. Awesome. Okay. Uh, Todd, number seven. My number seven is a movie I just watched this week. It is the Michael Angelo Covino movie, The Climb, which is available on Video On Demand. Uh, it is an expansion of the short film by the same director. It is about Kyle and Mike. Kyle is like an all-around nice guy, and Mike is a horrible best friend. And on a bike ride through the mountains, he reveals that he slept with Kyle's fiance. And after that, we get like a series of vignettes about that shows their evolution of their friendship over the course of several years. Uh, it's got the painful comedy of like a Jim Cummings movie, but it's clearly I- inspired by Sideways and uh, and uh, probably Mumblecore as well. Uh, the performances are awesome. Covino is uh, the star as well as his co-star and co-writer, Kyle Marvin. And you can tell that they're based on themselves, but not just because their names are the same, but because the performances are just so authentic. They feel so lived in. And I, I honestly couldn't recast them. It's, um, it's also shot in these like really long, unbroken takes which makes you feel like you're watching more like footage than you are actually watching a narrative film. It's a movie I have not stopped thinking about ever since I watched it. And uh, these types of independent movies just don't get made anymore. I, I probably wouldn't have come across it if it wasn't for Adnan Burke uh, naming it one of his best movies of the year. It really is. Like, The Climb is a special movie. Nice. 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 I love I the really shout-out to Adnan, too. Well done. Well done, Todd. Yes. <laughs> You didn't go see it, Terry. I didn't. I didn't go see that one. Not not yet, at least. Not yet. All right. Adam, number seven. Just oh, go real, ahead. Real quickly, just in case we're keeping score, that is three movies now that we have overlapped. So Todd is way under. Because I, I, I'm guessing there's still a few more out there. Maybe a well, movie, I said three. What, what, maybe okay. a movie with Riz Ahmed. But, yeah. I said four. So I think there's possibly two more left. Wait, what so. were the ones we've had so far? Soul, Palm Springs, and never, never sometimes, early. rarely, always, oh, or yeah, which was hard. That, 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 that was barely. That was barely a <laughs> barely a punt. Barely All right, Adam, number seven. All right, number seven is Palm Springs. Merlot. <laughs> so it's a little higher on Todd's. Does it count like twice if it gets Merlot? Well, we're no. talk about it when Todd gets up there. Talk about when Todd. No, it's still just one. That's still just one movie. Yeah. 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 So you, so yeah, we'll talk about it when, when it pops up on, on the, on the, the highest list. We can say that it's been triple Merlot, which sounds like a bad thing, but it's actually a really good thing, right? (laughs) That movie's aging like a fine wine. (laughs) I was going to say, I want to drink, I want to drink the triple Merlot. That that sounds good. (laughs) Okay. So that means it's to me now. Number seven. Okay. And I don't think I'm going to get Merlot on this one. Uh, my number seven is Education, the fifth part of the Small Axe anthology. Wow. Uh, my favorite part, it is the last part that's popping up on my list. Um, barely qualifies as a movie as it's an hour and three minutes. But like we said, it's 2020. The rules don't count. 
Uh, so uh, this is uh, the story of a young boy, uh, Kingsley, played by Kenya Sandy, and uh, and his struggle going through the education system as a as a black boy in London. Um, I, I, as a teacher, I found this part fascinating and compelling. Um, as this young boy who struggles to read has kind of fallen through the cracks and is ended up ends up getting sent to an alternative school that is basically a place they send kids that. Um, are trouble in the classroom that are far behind just to basically forget about them until uh, they can be in the workforce and um, really make sure that these families and these, these minority groups are uh, stayed down in uh, the society, the society there. I thought it was fascinating. I thought it was moving and I thought it was very hopeful too, in the way it ends. And, uh, and you got to love the inspiration of the end of it as well. So uh, education is my number seven. Still haven't seen it. <laughs> uh, have you seen any of them, Adam? I, I'm the one person that's missed out on them yet so far. Man. I don't know that Jack ever gave his thoughts on the last two episodes. I like both of them. Um, you know, I wouldn't, they're not, they were not merloed by me, um, the last two, but I would agree with a lot of points that Terry said. I thought the ending was very poignant and I, I liked the message, but wasn't overwhelmed by it. Not like the first two. I like Alex Weedle more. That was my least favorite. <laughs> I like how we're completely opposite on this. Oh, we are absolutely opposite. <laughs> I'm in the middle. What a shocker. Yeah, that's usually how it ends up happening. Someone's in the middle. All right, moving on to Zach, number seven. Okay, number seven, I hope gets Merlode. It is uh, a movie that now has eight views or eight votes on IMDb. It is Strummer. Waiting for it? Waiting for it? Unfortunately not. Oh, come on, oh. man. <laughs> However, we did add a vote. We got we got it up one. We got it up that's, one. That's good. <laughs> and it wasn't me. I still need to see it. Strummer. It's and it's such a Todd movie, too, but whatever. You're lost. I love this movie, man. This is okay. So if in case you didn't listen to our episode when we when I reviewed it, um, it is a movie that is randomly on Amazon Prime. The first five minutes of this movie are an unbroken shot in black and white where this guy's on a bed on his phone. And if you're thinking, what the hell is this? Am I going to keep watching this? Um, just keep watching it, okay? Because it gets better. It, it, it does have a lot of long, unbroken uh, shots, but, you know, it's borrowed from the mumblecore movement. It feels very, you know, Kevin Smith, mid-90s kind of stuff, very indie, as indie as it gets. In fact, the budget, I think, was $180. It tells the story of Travis, who's this slacker dude who lives with his dad. And he goes on Tinder, randomly hits up girls, and uh, sometimes he makes a connection with them, sometimes he doesn't. It's almost also a very didactic approach that I feel like has its roots a little bit in the French New Wave. It feels at times almost like a Godard film. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, so the character meets this other character named uh, Daphne, I believe is her name. I could be wrong. But they strike up um, not just a sexual relationship, but something deeper with their mutual love for music, and they form a band together called like love when todd and i talked about this movie we both said that you know we, we would we would download the like love um, album because their music is amazing and uh gosh i mean i loved everything about this movie. i was pulling for this movie i had no idea where it was going it could have been a piece of crap but i was but gradually you, you really start falling in love with these characters you know they don't have great speeches they're not particularly eloquent but 
it really does kind of show you the nature of relationships in 2020. It's a very 2020 movie. It only takes place in people's bedrooms. And uh, I think it has a really kind of hopeful, meaningful message. Um, and, uh, you know, just some great performances. Cody Clark is a filmmaker to look out for. Um this movie totally blindsided me. I, it's the reason you go to movies is to find movies like this and be totally perplexed and surprised that someone could have this much originality and talent and never be heard of at all. So hopefully Cody Clark gets more uh, recognition. But awesome movie. Strummer. Check it out. Should be on Todd's list. It is a great movie. I think we see we need to work on getting Cody Clark on the podcast. I, I think I think we can do this. I still haven't watched Shredder. I <laughs> I've been meaning to, yeah, but I just Shredder is a sequel. Apparently, I have not seen Shredder either. But <laughs> we are a quarter of your before. votes on IMDb. <laughs> Come yeah. on, our podcast. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll reach. I'll reach out. I'll try to find his contacts and I'll reach out to him. There we go. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. Okay. I'm glad that popped up because I I think that was one of like the best reviews we gave all year. It just shouting out a random movie with seven votes on imdb a passion project with a passion reviews that's that's the best part <laughs> yeah yeah todd number six my number six was mentioned on the podcast but not on someone's list it is black bear directed by lawrence michael levine which is available on spectrum and video on demand uh it is a movie starring my girl, Aubrey Plaza, as a filmmaker who is looking for inspiration for her next film. So she goes to stay at this lake house with a couple. And it it's kind of dark because she starts to play this seduction game with them. And then about halfway through, everything gets completely flipped and becomes something entirely different. It, it's about something of like the extent to which filmmakers go to push their actors for the sake of their art. And it's about like that blurred line between great directing and abuse. Aubrey Plaza is stunning and she should be winning Best Actress. I don't know why this movie never got more uh, more headway in the awards race. Uh, Chris Rabbit is also in it and he's the king of these types of indie films. Like, I can't figure out why he isn't a bigger star. Like Everything about him just seems like he should be a, a big movie star. Uh, the movie really got under my skin and I can't believe it's not in my top five. Uh, there's actually a surprising amount of the movies this year that are these like borderline four-star movies and on a rewatch they could be end up the end up being the best movie of the year and this is one of them black bear is great and i can't wait till people actually see it when it comes out on video or whatever <sighs> yeah That's i want to see I, that one i want to try to watch that today but i got sucked into watching ink master and i just watched binged watch a bunch of those so, so i couldn't watch black bear yet probably not a great decision <laughs> <laughs> hey, i like watching people get tattooed i don't know but yeah probably the movie's probably better than the show for sure <laughs> All right. All right. Adam, number six. Okay. You guys recently talked about this film on the podcast has a possibility of being on maybe Todd's list. Probably one of the best acted films of the year. Pieces of a woman is number six on my list with Vanessa Kirby and no Merlot. Okay. So yeah, Vanessa Kirby and Shia LaBeouf. And this is back-to-back years. Shia has appeared on my top 10 at some point. And this movie was an emotional roller coaster, especially that 30 minute scene. It's probably one of the could be an argument for one of the best scenes of all of 2020. It was just a really just an emotional, uh, emotional thing, especially if you've had, you know, uh, you've gone through a similar situation. It is, it definitely hits you a little harder than, uh, 
than if you hadn't. And that, that's exactly what how it hit me. It hit me really hard. And seeing Vanessa Kirby kind to kind of convey different uh, emotions and possibly go through postpartum depression as well. Uh, seeing Shia LaBeouf being this electric character, and I, I could only see him or Ben Foster playing. I think Todd made the same comparison. Those two actors definitely are electric in this, uh, or would be electric in this role. And the, the relationship between the two characters are there's a dyna- dy- dynamic component to them that just was something I couldn't stop looking at and puzzling in my head too. The ending scene, the the courtroom scene uh, played out differently than I originally anticipated, but this is a movie that was an emotional roller coaster for me again. And I just couldn't stop thinking about it after I watched. And that's a lot of these films did that are on my top 10. And I just couldn't stop thinking about them, get them out of my head. So piece of the woman, number six on my list streaming on Netflix. I just missed my list really and for me I think if it had been all about like that first half hour then it would have been a masterpiece and on my list but I think it really kind of lost its way in the direction it took the story especially going in like the court case it it just it just kind of lost its way I thought but um the the beginning and then kind of the everything with Vanessa Kirby kind of working through it I thought was great but uh yeah the court case really lost it for me do we she ever find out why uh, Shia LaBeouf wants to go to Seattle? I think that was a question raised on the podcast. Uh, Are there fan theories about that? I don't know. Probably yeah, I guess is like as far away as possible. Well, I know that he has a buddy up there, kind of in Portland, who's a, like a he's um, he was uh, a lumberjack. Uh, Dexter uh, was up there, up there. So they're going to meet up there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's funny because Zach doesn't know what we're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Is it Ellen Burstyn's ex-husband from when she was born in the 30s and her daughter was born in the 80s? Okay. We'll go go with that. We'll go with that. That could be it. Okay. Uh, It's to me now. My number six is a movie that we talked about on the podcast fairly recently. uh, And uh, it was me and Adam that talked about it. And that is One Night in Miami. Uh, the directorial debut of Regina King, uh, starring Kingsley Benadir, Eli Gorey, Aldous Hodge, and Leslie Odom Jr. as Malcolm X, Cassius Clay, Jim Brown, and Sam Cooke. And it is there, uh, uh, kind of based on true events, but fictionalized account of uh, one night that the four of them spend in Miami just kind of talking about life, uh, talking about civil rights, talking about uh, their role in in civil rights, what uh, everyone should be doing, what they shouldn't be doing. And I was just completely fascinated by this. Uh, one of the things I talked about on that episode was that uh, I've you have this and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom as these uh, two based-on-a-play movies that came out this year that um, kind of have some similar themes and also very much based in just kind of one area. And I thought One Night in Miami did everything so much better than Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, where Ma Rainey's Black Bottom was contrived and it was uh, it, it felt uh, completely uh, inauthentic. Everything about One Night in Miami I felt was authentic. It, the, the conversation flowed in a natural way. The characters were believable um, and the, the performances were just outstanding. I loved all four of them. And... Uh, and it, it's a movie that really stuck with me after I watched it. And, and I really, really loved it and a great, great start to uh, Regina King's career behind the camera. So uh, one night, Miami is my number six. Well, she's directed some, a lot of TV too, but 
dude i don't know i i like i think your review actually made me like it less like when because like i mean i don't think the movie is good at all i think the guy who plays muhammad ali is awful like there's nothing redeemable about that performance. i did say he was he was the one that was a little more of an impression than uh than a performance and aldous hodge is the highlight of the movie like his jim brown is awesome and he's the most believable character and he's the most grounded character he's the only one that i was i actually could actually get behind i i i wish we would have i would have been on that review because uh we would have had an interesting discussion but i i don't i think the screenplay is kind of stupid like i think the dialogue it's really lame and it and it really gets really cliche and uh yeah it's it's not a good movie but uh What, which which do you say is better, this or Ma Rainey's Black Bottom? Because I think it's I, hard I, to not compare the two. I think Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is better. I think that. It, oh. I think I, I I don't know. I n- neither I I didn't give either a thumbs up, but I think Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is is a better movie with better, love, more believable performances. The performances are great in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, but I I thought the the script there and the way the storytelling happens there it was just setting up monologues where this felt like a true conversation zach have you seen this yet i have not should have put it on my blind spot i think todd's review scared me though yeah the it's it's a ma rainey's and this one are both i gave positives but they are lower positives on my list i uh i i understand where terry's coming from but i also understand where todd's coming from i kind of like Typical, like almost sideways reviews. Like there's a guy always in the middle. That's exactly where I'm at too. It's like, I can see both sides, but I'm just going to play it safe and go it's right in the middle. <laughs> I think Zach sides with me on this one. I, th- I think he, uh, I-, I think he's going to side with me. Why couldn't they have had Will Smith play Muhammad Ali? Because <laughs> he's old. He like, yeah, I was like 19, <laughs> 20 year old Muhammad Ali. Yeah. It's the same yeah. cinematic universe. Maybe, though. maybe Jaden Smith. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> I will say, I, th- I think Will Smith playing Ma- Muhammad Ali kind of ruined any other potential performance of anybody else playing it because that was just amazing and iconic. All right. Well, Zach, you need to watch that one and break the tie here. And it's time for your number six. All right. Well, I technically I could have Merlot uh, one of Terry's picks, but I decided not to. My number six film is also from the Small Axe uh, film series, but it is neither of the films that Terry mentioned. It is the first film, uh, Mangrove. Um, this was my favorite of the of the series, and um, it was the one that felt the most like a film. Um, I love Lovers Rock. That was an amazing experience. Didn't quite feel like a full story i don't know what it was it felt like something awesome but i I, and i still i also kind of feel the same way about the other four but mangrove was a movie that you could actually imagine seeing in a movie theater it had um lots of time for character development character interactions it takes place over a longer period of time than i think any of the other films do um and it's also for me the, the, the most emotionally compelling in part because it doesn't really have a true protagonist i think the closest it gets to protagonist is uh the sean parks character frank critchlow who is this sort of um reluctant uh advocate and um uh social justice um you know pioneer because really what he want what he just wants is for his restaurant to not be raided by police. He wants to uh, operate uh, his business in, in peace. Um, but he is thrown into um, this uh, revolution, this movement for um, the African uh, community in London to um, get recognized and to not be continually abused by the police. Um, Terry pointed out in his review when, when we talked about it that he really liked the judge 
this is a court. This is, I think, the best courtroom procedural movie of the year. The judge is a really fascinating character in this movie. You don't really find out much about him, um, but there are a lot of like small characters like that throughout the piece um, that uh, are are extremely well acted. Letitia Wright and Malachi Kirby are both excellent in the movie as well as um, members of the Mangrove Nine. It teaches a very important history lesson that is, I guess, not too far removed from, from um, Crip Camp, uh, which was also on my list, a, 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 a part of history that has been unfortunately ignored and neglected, but is one that's really important. And I think that's something that Steve McQueen is amazing at, which is um, telling stories that have a meaningful um, importance in the, in terms of history, but also having a really strong emotional connection. So I was deeply moved by Mangrove. That is the second movie. Uh, I would say that I got very close to tearing up at the end. I thought it was actually a beautiful end. Um, and I think there was even more to that chapter that the movie actually could have explored um, because the end credits kind of tell you a little bit more about that story. But um, it's an awesome movie. And uh, I think a must-see for um, anyone who's interested in the history of civil rights, history of London, history of marginalized groups getting to banding together and solidarity and standing up for themselves so um really awesome awesome movie awesome series too i don't know what to do with it but that was my favorite one of the series yeah i i, I it just missed my list mangrove did because uh, that was another one that was that was just outstanding and yeah and yeah what do you do with this i mean if if you're calling small acts one thing like one anthology like i know you do with the decalogue this is probably like one or two, like one, two, three on my on my top ten of the year because you you think about the entirety of what this is. It is just absolutely outstanding what Steve McQueen was able to accomplish here. Considering all the different parts together, I mean, the fact that three almost made my top ten just shows how highly I think I think of it. And uh, I almost just did a tie so I could put more stuff in because I felt bad taking up two spots with small axe movies. But oh well. Yeah, and in, in a way, too, I, I think I like Mangrove the best also because it's Steve McQueen at his most restrained. Sometimes he's been a little bit uh, excessive and draws attention to his stylistic and aesthetic choices rather than the content of his stories. And in this one, I think he kind of lets it breathe on its own a little bit because it is such an important story to tell. Whereas Lover's Rock uh, is, is great, too, but th- that you can kind of see you know, technique in, in the way that it's constructed. But um, really good piece, too. But Mangrove, to me, is uh, a super amazing story with great performance performances and if there was any justice in the world they would get several acting oscar nominations well but it won't because it's it competing won't. for emmys instead yeah but that's okay good stuff <laughs> <Who cares? laughs> all right moving into the top five todd number five uh my number five has been merlot twice it's palm springs hell yeah directed by max barbacow uh it's on hulu it's uh, it's astonishing that a movie with a debut screenplay and a director who's making his first movie can be so polished and confident because that's what this movie is. Uh, it's this movie starring Andy Samberg as Niles who gets stuck in a time loop at a wedding in Palm Springs and he accidentally gets Sarah, played by Christina Milioti, the maid of honor at the wedding, stuck in there with him. And it like plays with the genre and it uses... Uh, the awareness that has been done before to its advantage. And you can actually feel like the influence of Lonely Island on the movie, but it's not really a Lonely Island movie. I, I've i watched it four or five times now. I just watched it again yesterday, actually. And it, it never fails. I mean, you still get the same amount of laughs, the same amount of confusion. And it's just a really great movie to watch. I think every single time, it's just a, a pleasure watching the movie. J.K. Simmons is also awesome in the movie. And uh, unfortunately, he's not getting... Uh, any awards consideration, but he really should. 
it, it's a it's a brilliant movie and one of the, i think it's probably the best pure comedy in the last few years and uh a movie i never expected to be this high on the list but here we are it's 2020 whatever palm springs is number five yeah, I guess I'll just kick it off, too, because this is on my list. Yeah, this movie wound up being on my number seven spot, but it could definitely be higher. This movie is fantastic. I, I am a fan of this style of movie where they just came and repeats the same day. I really love Groundhog Day, of course, which is the kind of the the pinnacle, the t- tippy top of this kind of film style of film, but also like Happy Death Day and Premature and other movies that kind of play around with the same style of film. And but this one is definitely really close to my enjoyment level of like Groundhog Day. It's fantastic. I love the, the leads. I love all the characters in this film. I like how it kind of pokes fun at this genre and also kind of pushes things forward as well. So I'm kind of excited to see what comes next in this one. Uh, I want to, I would love to see a spinoff film with just JK Simmons, how he figures out how to get out of this, 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 this plot as well. Uh, Palm Springs was just a fun time. It definitely the best comedy of this year, probably of last year. And what, like Todd said, a couple for the last couple of years, but this one definitely packed a punch and packed a lot of good humor in there as well. So definitely one of the best films of the year. I think Zach had it too, right? Yeah, Zach, you want to talk about it? Yeah, I mean, what the, one of the central conflicts in this movie is how you know Andy Samberg is stuck in this time loop, but he's also a slacker, and he doesn't really want to do anything about it. And the Christina um, Milioti character comes in and sort of says, well, no, we need to get out of this. But if you think about Andy Samberg's character, this movie is so good. It's so rewatchable. It's so fresh. It's so creative. Um, I think you can almost understand why he would never want to leave the time loop because it's like awesome. It's it, it's hilarious. Um, the time loop part itself is interesting, but in a way, it's almost the least interesting part of this movie. Uh, the, the the character conversations and interactions and the dynamics, particularly between the two leads, but also when you throw in J.K. Simmons, is just fabulous. And you actually... A strange thing starts happening as you watch this movie, which is that you actually start caring about the characters. Like you were never, I was never expecting to care about anyone in an Andy Samberg movie that seems like a Lonely Island skit. But I actually really wanted to know what happens to them next. And it what happens to them is not predictable. So I, I don't know. This movie is, like I said, compulsively watchable. Uh, it, yeah. Uh, it, I think years from now, people will be talking about just how good this movie is. And I don't know, 2020 messed up a lot of things, but um, I wonder in in a non-COVID world, what would what would happen to this movie? I think it would be more celebrated, more praised, more watched. This I'd hope. Here, what's wrong with you? Yeah, I, I really love this movie too. It just yeah, didn't make my list. It. Um, it, it, I didn't have it as a four-star movie, but uh, yeah, it's it's awesome, and um, and I can totally see the rewatchable factor on this one too. So, uh, in twenty thirty, we're going to do a rewatchables on it. <laughs> can, can you imagine can you imagine uh andy sandberg after he gets out of out of the time loop and then is like oh wait covid no i want to go back i mean <laughs> <laughs> he was right he he was that was a very prescient decision to stay in the time loop right? he's very justified uh all right before we go any further uh todd i just need to double check something what was your number seven I'm trying to keep track of these things. I missed it. Yeah, the oh, climb. the climb. That's right. That's right. I, I missed it. I'm like, oh, maybe he had Palm Springs there, but no, you had Palm Springs here. So, okay, we're good now. Okay, the, the, the pot the pot is set. So, uh, pot is uh, set. The pot is set. So, Adam, number five. 
All right, my number five is probably the documentary that I really enjoyed the most out of this last year, and that is a film directed by David Darg and Price James. It's called You Cannot Kill David Arquette. And I can't, no one has seen it, so. Nope. Okay. <laughs> I like the moment where everyone's just like, and is anyone going to say anything? No, no. Nope. Okay, okay, I get it. Okay, cool. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> so this mixes uh, a lot of different cool things for me. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a wrestling fan, and this is a wrestling documentary th- uh, through and through. But who would have thought that David Arquette would have been a, kind of an underdog story? If you didn't know, quickly just run through the history here. He made a film called Ready to Rumble in the like late 90s, early 2000s, where he's a diehard wrestling fan in real life, but he plays a diehard re- wrestling fan in this one. And uh, he basically goes and interacts with a bunch of WCW wrestling wrestlers, which is owned by Ted Turner back in the late, late 90s. And um, basically, this company decided to promote this movie. They were going to have him win their main championship. And uh, the fans absolutely hated it because he was not a wrestler. The wrestlers hated the decision, too, because he didn't pay his dues. He didn't know anything, but he was actually landing moves and won this, this coveted championship. And he actually got blacklisted in Hollywood, and a lot of his uh, kind of career went downhill, and he, he got bullied uh, quite a bit. And uh, he decided that he's actually going to come back and make a comeback. So he decides, I'm going to go I'm gonna be, go back into wrestling kind of redeem myself. And he steps in. He tries to get on this thing, um, but you could tell that, there was a lot of stigma he did that no one wanted to work with him he got kind of goes into alcoholism as well instead he goes to tijuana and he starts learning from lucha libres down there and he actually fights like on the street of tijuana like street wrestling and he learns how to do it he actually gets doing this lucha mask too and he fights with like these big old professionals and he starts making his way into the wrestling actually redeeming himself too and you see his awesome match with rj city and how that was set up in california and it basically culminates at the very one of the big things where he actually almost died in the ring um he had a death match and he thought it was just like a hardcore match but no he actually got like kind of almost got pierced his jugular in um this thing that's where i really knew he was actually back in wrestling kind of you play it back uh and he almost died in that match too and they actually show it and it's really graphic on that part but he actually redeems himself and he actually uh, he actually worked hard and he actually finished i believe in 2019 he finished he was ranked top 100 wrestlers of the year uh, it's really cool to see his progression here and he, you know it wasn't you could think just this documentary would be like oh this is about him but actually they got Patricia Arquette shows appears in this one Courtney Cox appears and they got his kids and a bunch of other people and a lot of uh, famous wrestlers appear in this one too so it's just kind of a cool underdog story about a guy seeking his redemption and who would have thought like David Arquette man like making like going out and he actually he got he got sober and he lost a bunch of weight so it's a cool it's just a cool like uh, per, human story so yeah you can't kill David Arquette I've watched it multiple times very intriguing said my wife who's not a big wrestling fan loved it as well so good stuff from David Arquette all right oh, yeah cool I've not seen it <laughs> Zach did text me he's like that sounds interesting where's it on and it's on Amazon Prime you can rent it there so if you're interested all right. All right. Well, let's move on. <laughs> number number five on my list is probably the movie on my list I want to rewatch the most and, and kind of reevaluate a little bit. But for right now, it's sitting at number five. And that is The Trial of Chicago 7. Um, and well, we've we talked about this one. We reviewed it. Um, this is the story of... Uh, of the Chicago seven, the uh, seven people who were put on trial for inciting riots during the 1968 democratic convention in Chicago. 
Uh, and it's got a star-studded cast, Eddie, Eddie Redmayne, Sasha Baron Cohen, Jeremy Strong, John Carroll Lynch, Yaya Abdul-Mateen, uh, Mark Rylance, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, Frank Langella, uh, Michael Keaton. There's, it's a huge cast. Um, and at the heart of it is uh, the writing and directing of Aaron Sorkin. And I love the way Aaron Sorkin tells a story. I, I think he, he's able to find a way to make the smart and uh, accessible to everyone in this sharp, witty dialogue that really only he can write. And, uh, and I love the way he does it. I love the way he tells this story uh, and, and how he, he weaves it all together and has this emotional moment at the end. He, and using so much that was actually like court documented dialogue of what happened in the courtroom, which I, I know when we reviewed, it's like, this, this is so like ridiculous and, and shouldn't be, uh, and, and was bad writing. It's like, no, that's actually what happened. Uh, but I, I, I love this movie and it's easy to compare this one to Mangrove because I feel like they're very similar movies, very similar subject contents. And, um, and I'm going to put this one up a little higher. Obviously this is number five Mangrove just missed my top 10. Um, there are some things I think Mangrove did better, but I think just the, the writing and storytelling of Sorkin just put this one up over the top for me. So that's what gets it at number five. And like I said, I want to re I want to watch this one again. I wanna, I wanna look, um, I wanna revisit it and see exactly uh, what I think. But it's number five for me. Trial of Chicago Seven. Uh, yeah, this is a, a good, good pick. I figured this was another one that's in the running to be you know, like your favorites. Uh, this one I did get four stars too, and I will stand by that review. Uh, but this was kind of like, was it a four star movie for me, or was it just because this was the very first uh, Netflix screener that I was able to get my hands on? What kind of what factored into that? Uh, but I, I, I enjoyed this movie. Okay, the holiday. I didn't want. No, no, it was over the moon. Was my first one. Sorry, over the moon. And then it yeah, was. Yeah, that's what the it was. The first one know. that mattered. I, it was the yeah. first one that mattered. Whatever. I don't know. <laughs> it, it felt like it was forever ago. But anyway, yeah, Trial of Chicago Seven. I really liked that one, and I. Yeah, it's it's a one I would like to rewatch as well. Yeah, it for me it was a good movie except for Aaron Sorkin. He's the LVP. I wish a different writer director had had made it because it feels like an Aaron Sorkin movie, and I'm not sure that that's really the direction that it should have gone in. Um, but for what it's worth, it does have some interesting performances, and I think it's worth just watching it for for the sheer fascination of seeing these historical figures interact with each other, which I guess is part of the appeal of One Night in Miami. But um, I don't know. I, for me, it's I cannot. I could not consider it a serious Oscar contender, but it probably will get nominated for many, many Oscars. Well, and and a lot of people are still saying it might. It's one of the favorites too. Um, and I think the one thing that we were able to agree on in our um, in our review of it is um, Sorkin probably would have been better off giving his script to somebody else and letting someone else direct it. Yeah, that's, um, that's because because he he kind of gets a little too obsessive when he's directing his own stuff uh, he doesn't yeah. done it very often but molly's game was pretty awesome molly's game was pretty awesome but again it was poker so of course you would say it's awesome todd molly's game definitely would have been merlot in 2017 let's just put it that way <laughs> <laughs> all right zach number five Oh, and speaking of getting merlot i'm sure my number five film is going to get merlot it is the taiwanese submission for best international film and Merlot Merlot we'll, we'll leave it at that for now we well, gotta get the what, what's the title at least 
It is called A Sun. Okay. Ah, damn, that's another one I missed down. Okay, I'm writing it down. Yeah. Good call. Good call. Need to I have a feeling okay. it's going to be Merlot. All right. Know. All right. My number four. Which, is now, which now means metal. Todd was wrong. Yeah, oh. I'm wrong. Yeah. Your number four is Sound of Metal. Yeah. Merlot. Merlot. All right. So, so there we go. So now it's Adam, number four. All right, so this one will not get Merlot. This one was one of those lone theater experiences that I just missed out on. This is the one that when everything went to hell, this one, they just said, this is going straight to streaming. Enjoy it. And uh, that is Lee Winnell's The Invisible Man with Elizabeth Moss. Nice. So uh, this guy is a fantastic director, man. This is this. He's directed three movies. Two of them have made my top tens originally. Like Upgrade just has been knocked out of my top ten. But that that is a great action film. And I've really loved this Invisible Man movie. I Elizabeth Moss is electric. It's kind of it's kind of like the Lupita Nyong'o from Us. Like this is a fantastic horror performance that is going to get overlooked in awards contention. But it, she's uh, she's riveting in this movie. As she, every time she's in a, on the performance, she just knocks it out of the park, and she just just destroys this film because she's acting, she's reacting to something that's we can't see. It's a great way to do it. And Lee Wan, Lee Winnell, man, three films. I've all I've liked everything he's done. Insidious, uh, well, Insidious three, the Chapter three was really actually an underrated film in that series. But he's asked, he has the Wolfman coming up with Ryan Gosling. He has Escape from New York coming up. I'm I'm a, I'm in first in line for this guy's films. The Invisible Man, great special effects. I think this is going to be, I hopefully, a leading contender for those. They remember this movie. It's it was a great little horror film that I really it had no business being as good as it was. And it, it was a out of those classic horror films. The Invisible Man's an interesting one because I loved what they did with the special effects back in the day. But this one gave kind of like a reju- rejuvenation. It um, got new new life with an updated version. So Invisible Man number four, good film, four stars, first one of the year. So. So that is, I, yeah, go for it. I was, I was gonna say, so when uh, this week I, I like built a list in my head of everything I wanted to catch up on before we did this list, and it was a list of like 10 movies long, and I did not get to all of them, but Invisible Man was on that list, and so I still want to really watch that one. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's great, it's a good movie, yeah. And uh, I, I think it, it has like the best visuals of the year, like uh, the, the design of of the invisible man is insane. Like I, I loved everything it did with that. And Elizabeth Moss is one of my, she's one of my people. So yeah, it was, it was a really good movie. Yeah. Fantastic performance too, man. Like this is so great. So good. Now, now Todd, what is the best Elizabeth Moss performance of the year? Is it the invisible man or Shirley? I mean, it's, I, I'd say it's probably invisible man. Like they're, they're really close. Both are in, among the top 10 best actress performances I've seen. All right. All right. Good deal. Okay. We good, Adam? You good to go? Yes. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> Adam was the invisible man for a second. I know. I know. I was hoping I was invisible. I looked like can't like I should have removed myself from that. <laughs> uh, all right, what are we it's doing? It's all now? good. It's all good. All right. So moving on to me number four. Okay. So as I was building my list, there was a definite like cutoff. Like there was five through 10 and then there was my top four and my top four are like solid by far the four best of the year. And so my number four is a movie I actually just watched this week. It is the reason I decided that this week I needed to subscribe to Apple TV plus before I started 
uh, before I put my top 10 list together. And that is my documentary, uh, the best documentary of the year, Boys State. Wow. Uh, uh, this is uh, directed by Amanda McBain and Jesse Moss and tells the story of the 2018 uh, Texas Boys State, uh, which is something that takes a bunch of high schoolers from a state together and bring, brings them together in one spot. And basically for a week, they uh, run a government. Like like our government, they they run for offices. They learn they learn about how to make laws. Um, they they elect a governor. They they do all all this stuff in a week and get a little microcosm of what it's like to run our our government for a week. Uh, I had a little bit of a personal connection to this when I was in high school. I went to Washington Boys State. Uh, and so I know I had like, as they were going through, I'm like, I remember what this was like. I remember what that was like. Uh, they take it to an extreme new level because of the over politicization of our society right now. Um, and it's definitely showed through this. Uh, and then you add to the fact, add the fact that it's Texas and Texas is, is like a battleground for a lot of political discussion and debate right now. But it is fascinating. Uh, it, it's frustrating. It's inspiring to see uh, to see how you've got some people who have already learned at a young age that politics is a game you have to play. And um, and like one of the kids talks about how he's straight up lying about what he believes in because he thinks it'll get him votes. And you've got other people saying, I'm going to do everything to sabotage this and that and this and that because it's going to help get things elected. And then you have others that are saying, I'm going to be as authentic and genuine as possible because that's what people are looking for. And it is it is so fascinating to watch and to realize that these are just like 16, 17, 18 year old kids. Yeah. And and they are showing us what the future of our country is going to be in just this little microcosm of of a week in in the state of Texas and learning how to run a government. Um, it's it is a fascinating watch. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, like I said, it's, it's frustrating. It's inspiring. It's, it's fascinating. Um, it, it's, it's totally worth it. Boys state. It's my number four. Wow. That sounds really good. Let me check that out. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's gotten universal praise for the people who have Apple TV. So just get the seven day free trial, watch boys state, watch wolf walkers on the rocks too. watch on the rocks, watch Greyhound, and then, and then cancel it or just pay yeah. the five bucks four ninety nine a month. And watch Beastie boy story. It's another good one too. One of the lowlights this year is when you guys made me use my HBO max free subscription on an American pickle. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it, now, now it's like, you can't really survive without HBO max. If you don't have a, if you don't have a, theaters open around you what yeah man. okay from your nap from the little things though geez Louise. okay so so anyway. so i'm so i'm the only one that has it on my list is it because i'm the only one that's seen it so far adam i think you're the only one that's had that have you seen it i hadn't even heard of it to be honest with you oh boy I, I just wrote it down TV plus dude yeah you I, I wrote it down yeah sounds great and yeah 2002 washington boys state i was there it was fun good times i ran for a supreme court justice and ended up as their clerk because I lost. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a trade-off you make. It's a trade-off. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and they do they do a girls' state too. So they do boys' state and they do girls' state. They do them separately. And then in in the context of that, uh, two people are chosen from that that actually go to boys and girls' nation 
as their as the states like senators, and then they try to run a national government doing that too. Oh wow, pretty cool, pretty cool. All right, uh, Zach, number four. Okay, my number four film is um, another British film. Uh, a lot of good British films that came out this year. Um, this is a movie that is uh, directed by the legendary 84-year-old, two-time Palme d'Or winning director, Ken Loach. One of the great directors of all time. Maybe the greatest British director. And it is a movie called Sorry We Missed You. Um, it is a movie that is uh, set amidst... Oh, we're going to I'm Terry. Okay. Oh, there we go. <laughs> you don't want to hear my thoughts on this. I haven't seen it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's not Sorry to Bother You, which I know Terry has a lot of thoughts on as well. But Sorry <laughs> We Miss You is um, set in, I believe it's London, and it's about a family that is, um, they're getting by, they're very middle class, but they are struggling in the midst of this, of the economic crash of 2008. Um, although I'm not sure if the movie takes place in 2008 or not. It actually seems pretty contemporary. But the father, who is played by Chris Hitchin, is um, just a sort of blue-collar guy. At the beginning of the movie, he's signing up to work as this delivery truck driver and he actually uh, has to he has to literally pay to rent out the truck that he delivers packages in and you know you see the agenda of Ken Loach here pretty quickly it's it's um and he's always been a, a director that's very m- much been motivated by um the the, the pressures and um social justice justice movements for equality um and you see right away that this guy's job is very much um exploitative and demeaning um and damaging to this guy's character uh his wife in the movie uh who's played by let's see uh i've not seen the actress's name debbie uh, honeywood is a home health care worker and they have two children um a teenage son who's getting into trouble and a daughter who is very observant and kind of can see all the emotional uh chasms that exist within the family um the movie has this kind of light tone to it at first you kind of i almost thought it was going to be more of a comedy it feels almost like a, a mike lee movie um there's definitely like uh, an, an element of, you know, sort of kitchen sink drama comedy to it. But then the movie takes a very dark direction, um, in part because of the things that the teenage son does and the reaction of the father character. I think you get a really good portrait of all four of these um, family members and not just the suffering that they go through, but also the small victories. Um, there's a really heart, heart-wrenching moment in the movie where the, the mom is talking to one of her patients and she basically talks about how, you know, her patients give her so much more than she can possibly give them, um, you know, in terms of uh, health care and support. Um, it's mo- it's a movie that I think resonates certainly for a lot of Americans, too, who are stuck in these sort of dead end jobs where you really feel marginalized, you feel dehumanized. Um, there's a character in the movie who's who's uh, the, the father's boss, and he talks about how he has this kind of macho command of everything because he has to remove all the emotional components out of his life. And you know that you just can't do that. And I'm a big fan of the Darden brothers. This is the kind of t- movie that they would make too. Um, I think it's it's really a, a riveting um, and and sad story uh, as you see this family sort of deteriorate um, within the, the the whole spectrum. That you know they they all love each other and they're all very committed to each other, but it is this kind of. It's the way that the financial um, crash impacts families on an emotional level. And that's something that isn't really uh, oftentimes explored in movies, but Ken Loach is the perfect director for it. And this movie is really, really uh, moving and one of his best films. So number four, um, Sorry We Missed You, really, really solid piece of filmmaking from a master. Todd, your thoughts. Todd. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think I said this because like last week or whatever. I mean, I, I thought it was kind of boring, but I mean, I'm, I don't really... 
connect to Ken Loach's movies necessarily. I mean, I like The Wind That Shakes the Barley, but like I, Daniel Blake, and this movie, I, I just can't really, I don't know, maybe maybe it's over my head or something. I, I just can't really get into him. Well, th- yeah. This movie's better than both of those, I, I would say. I, and some of his earlier work, like Kess, I mean, Kess is considered one of the great, again, Brit- British kitchen sink, uh, sort of blue-collar dramas. Um, you know, And it's a movie that you probably have to watch with subtitles, too. They, they speak in very thick accents, but... Um, I don't know. I, I think his style of filmmaking is, is really cool. It's sort of like the Dardenne brothers with a little bit of Robert Altman and Mike Lee. Um, I like this movie. I know Todd's not a huge fan of it, but um, I would say, you know, give it a chance. I think it, I think it's a really solid piece of filmmaking. All right. All right. Top three now. Todd. All right. My number three is available on HBO and HBO Max. It is The King of Staten Island, directed by Judd Apatow which I reviewed on this podcast and was the only movie I paid $20 to watch on video on demand. And I have no problems with it. Uh, Pete Davison stars and co-writes the movie. And it has a lot of parallels to his life. He plays this guy named Scott, who is living as basically a bum uh, with his mother, played by Marissa Tomei, whose father, or uh, Pete Davison's father, died uh, in a fire. He's a firefighter. And it completely ruined both him and his mother. And his mother starts dating another firefighter, played by Bill, uh, Bill Burr, who is just amazing and should be getting a nomination. Um, and that makes Scott start to question things. He's sort of at a crossroads with the knowledge that he needs to grow up and that nobody really feels sorry for him anymore. Pete Davidson quite simply gives the best performance of the year. It's the highest war. It is the most raw. It is the most difficult character to play. And if he gets snubbed by the golden Globes, I'm going to be so upset. I I've gone back to this movie a few times and it's still like, it still packs a punch and it still gets funnier. It might not be Apatow's funniest movie overall, and it might not be his most easily rewatchable, but it's pretty clearly his best movie. And I love that now he's just making these movies that give the spotlight to the star slash writer rather than just getting his freaks and geeks buddies together for a romp. Like Trainwreck was a, the, brought the best out of Amy Schumer. This brings the best out of Pete Davidson, and it is a truly great film. Uh, the King of Staten Island is my number three. Yeah, I kind of bummed I didn't put that on my list. That's a great movie. I really like that one. Bill Burr had a year. I don't know if you watched The Mandalorian, but he's fantastic in that show, too. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Of my favorite, one of my favorites. So, yeah, I saw I saw a meme recently online that said uh, Bill Burr in 15 minutes in The Mandalorian gave a better former stormtrooper arc than uh, Finn got in three movies. That's true. Yeah, they, that, it is. Yeah, it totally is. <laughs> it was a publicity stunt for uh, the other one, so we're not gonna. <laughs> so, so King of Staten Island is another one that was on my list of uh, wanted to catch up on this week and didn't quite get to. So. Yeah. Yeah. hasn't done it so. i haven't seen it yet but i have seen pete davidson in the snl sketch with timothy chalamet the yeet sketch and <laughs> i'd be hard-pressed to find a better performance than that so i will i'll, I'll look forward to that hashtag influencer uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right you, can i uh, question yeah. did you watch big time adolescence and how do you can are those good he was had a great year pete davidson did did you did you see that one yet yeah, yeah, that was, that was really good too. I mean, but King of Staten Island, I think, is special. Like big time adolescence, I did take to a lot as well. Like he, he's he's unique. Like I, I mean, I've said before on the podcast, I think he's Sean Penn meets Johnny Knoxville, and there's no, I mean, yeah, nobody else I could ever say that about. I had a good year, good deal. Good I like big time adolescence too. That was a good, good flick. Yeah. <clears throat> cool. All right. 
All right, Adam, number three. Number three, possibility of being on another person's list. I I think it will be. Uh, Promising Young Woman. Merlot. Ooh. That means we've hit six, by the way. What was that six? I thought it was five. I have six. Six now. That's six now. All right. Yep. Oh, oh man, it's me now. Okay. Uh, Well, that's okay, because my number three is Sound of Metal. Merlot. There we go. All right. Back. Number three. Or number, yeah, number three. Yeah, number three. My number three is First Cow. I don't think that's going to get Merlot, is it? Um, I know Adam. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, we'll get Moo. That was actually really funny. Um, I'm just remembering, I'm remembering, so last year, Adam also made a really funny comment during my number three movie, which is when he talked about um, the parasite scene and how I... uh, I told my kids to watch, and they they said that you know the scene with the the couch in the living room made them feel very uncomfortable. And anyway. yeah, I, I stand by what my dad would say. That's all. Yeah. I, I'll say that. <laughs> Memories. Um, okay. Well, anyway, first cow. I'll be honest with you. First thirty minutes, first cow. I was almost ready to give up on it. It it is a slow movie. You have to get used to the pace, and it is set in the Oregon Territory, and I think like around 1830, 1840. Um, and if you like Meek's off and you like Kelly Reichard's stuff, then obviously you're you know you're gonna like the movie. But it is slow at times. Then when you start figuring out who these characters are and the main two characters in the movie are played by um let me get their their names right uh uh john magro and uh orion lee um one of them is this kind of fur trapper dude who's sort of plays this sort of subservient role in his band of macho dudes with beards and the other is a chinese immigrant who's on the run from i think some russian gamblers and when they meet up they devise this and because um, the the uh, the fur trapper dude uh, Cookie is a great cook, and well, conveniently there is now a cow, an exotic animal that has been brought into this kind of outskirtish community in the middle of nowhere. It's almost like a, a, the, the set on the Revenant or something. Um, and uh, Cookie uh, and King Lou um, steal the milk from the cow, and they make these great pastries and um, like biscuits. And everyone wonders, well, how you know how is this guy making it? But no one really can connect the dots that he's stealing the milk from the cow. Um, there's so much to love about this movie. I mean, the plot is kind of simplistic and even sort of predictable in a way, but what is great about this movie is how it feels. I mean, this is a movie that is shot on film. It feels like McCabe and Mrs. Miller at times and other Westerns, uh, like revisionist Westerns from the 70s. The relationship between these two guys is excellent. I mean, these are not macho men. They they are vulnerable to each other and they really develop this friendship and male friendships in movies are so hard, hard to, to come by. Um, this was the best bromance of the year. Um, and, you know, the story goes um, in directions that aren't entirely unpredictable, but the way that Kelly Riker shows it is really unique. And the kind of the kind of payoff that you get at the end of the movie, which is sort of bookended from the first scene, is unique, too, in an unpredictable way. Beautifully shot. It's getting, you know, some Oscar buzz. I hope it gets Oscar buzz. Kelly Riker has been on many of my top ten lists, and this is one of her best films. It's a movie that you probably have to watch two or three times to fully get because the pacing is a lot for, for some people. But once the story gets moving, once it starts accelerating a little bit, once it gets that sort of inertia, um, it is an absolutely compelling watch and i could have watched that movie for maybe a couple hours more so um i'm disappointed it's on no one else's list but uh i think the critics have spoken for it great show, great film and um you know kelly Reichert is a great director deserves a lot of recognition 
first cow. Check it out. Yeah, I just watched this one recently, and uh, and I agree. It starts really slow, and I almost gave up on it. In fact, I actually turned it off. And a couple days later, I came back to it and gave it another shot because I'd heard so many great things from you also. And uh, and it does kind of resurrect itself as as the story gets going and as the characters start to develop a little more. And it is a beautiful movie, um, but it, it's just kind of hard to get over how slow it, it it gets going. So I give it three stars, but uh, it, it it it's yeah. My That's take is that if I've, I've only seen this movie once, but I would imagine if I were to watch it again, when I watch it again, those first 25, 30 minutes are going to be a lot more impressive and tell you a lot more about these characters that we slowly eventually get to know um, as the story moves along. It's possible. So if you had fallen asleep, then it would have been on your worst of the year list. But the fact that you just turned it off and then went back to it. Where's uh, <laughs> the worst of give and take there, Zach? <laughs> oh, I didn't I didn't turn it off. Terry turned it off. I you, you, you said you almost gave up on it. Almost gave. I I didn't though. I I love Kelly Riker. I would never give up on any of her films. But you almost did. His oh, eyelids I, didn't give up on it. <laughs> yeah. I think the MVP of the movie is the first cow because once the cow gets in there, I mean, then the movie just starts really taking off, and uh, it's a it's it's the best cow performance since the Flying Cow and Twister, which is maybe something we'll be talking about in future episodes. Yeah, we will. It's a good call. And, 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 and by saying the story really takes off, that's that's a loose, loose interpretation of that word there. I mean... Yeah, it's, it's like in Blast from the Past when he's listening to, what, Perry Como or something, and here's where it really kicks in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's like it's like saying after after Matt Damon and Casey Affleck get off the rock and Jerry, that's when the story really picks <laughs> yeah. up. It's like, well, yeah, that's because something is actually happening now. You know, <laughs> he does have a little bit of comparisons to Jerry. I can kind of see that. But I think from a cinematic level, though, this movie felt like a movie. OK, those other movies that we've been talking about so far. They feel like you watch them on TV. This movie felt like it was tactile. It was real. It was shot on film. It feels like you're watching something from the past. And it felt like what movies used to feel like. And that's what I love about Kelly Riker at cinema. Felt like something you would need to go to Fox Tower to watch. Yes. Yeah. Or Cinema 21. Or Cinema 21. Or The Grand. Just shout out all those independent theaters out there. Check them out. Or The Hollywood. Absolutely. I think I only went to the Hollywood once. I was to watch once. Anyways, uh, Todd, moving on. Number two. My number two has been mentioned. It is by Mong Hong Chung, the Netflix movie A Son. And it's a Taiwanese movie about a broken family. Uh, ah Wen is the father, and he kind of despises his youngest son. He's a kind of a juvenile delinquent. And, uh, his name is Aho, and but uh, he doesn't realize that his son is like really uh, affected by the fact that he is so withdrawn toward him. And Aho is the older son, and he's living under the pressure of being like the chosen one, and he's working to get into medical school. And eventually, there's some tragedy that happens and throws all their lives out of whack. And you just kind of get engrossed in this really wrenching drama, which also kind of shifts the genres a couple of times. I compared it immediately to. If Ordinary People was made by like Wong Kar Wai, and it's also got some similarities to like The Place Beyond the Pines. There's a little Kubrick in there, a little like Yimu Zhang, a little Tarantino, a little Edward Yang. I wasn't familiar with Chung's work before this, but I'm definitely going to go back and watch his other stuff because 
this is a, a remarkable movie. There are like four Oscar caliber performances in this. It's definitely the best cast of the year. The final scenes are completely devastating, and this is just an absolute masterpiece. My number two is A Son. Good All right. stuff. Great choice. It is my number five of the year. I, I don't have a whole lot more to add, except this movie starts with a scene of brutal violence, and you think it's going to be about the consequences of that act of violence. And you think that the biggest victim is going to be the someone is the, is going to be the person for who, with whom the violent act was committed against, but it's not. And it actually uh, goes in really surprising directions. It focuses on characters that early on in the movie are sort of in the background. You don't really notice them that much. And then it shifts to those characters, and then it goes away from the characters that you think the movie's going to be about. So like Todd was kind of saying, it's this tapestry. It's, in that sense, I can see the comparisons to Place Beyond the Pines. It spans a few years. There's an act of sacrifice in this movie that is shocking. Um, there are a lot of surprises. This is a brilliant, brilliant movie. Uh, totally agreed with Todd. And um, it's it, the, the less you know about it, the better. It does some really surprising things visually, too, and it was it was quite a discovery to uh, to see it. Don't know why it's not getting more press. I was gonna say, do you think this gets a nomination? I think it fits the profile. I mean, it's 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 got a really epic scope, and it's. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I think it, it feels like a movie that gets nominated for best foreign film. I'm trying to remember what what's the what's the front runner right now for that. I don't really know that there is international. One. I don't know. Maybe another round. I, I'm not really sure. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. I think that's probably what people would say is the front runner right now. Did you guys see the article in the New York Times today by uh, Tony Scott about how uh, he thinks they should do away with the best international film category? He had a few other suggestions, too, but he said that the Oscars need to be seriously revamped, and the first step would be to get rid of best international feature and just make best picture more international. I, I think that's a horrible idea because it wouldn't happen. Well, maybe in Tony Scott's world it wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't happen. So I, 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 I think what you need to, you need to revamp the category, not get rid of the category. I think it's crazy that only one. I, I mean, I get the only one film per country thing to make sure that smaller countries get recognized, and maybe you say that only one film per country can get nominated. But the fact that, like, last year, Portrait of a Lady on Fire got left on the scrap heap so that Les Miserables could be nominated and yeah, not even be considered. I think that's what he's talking about more, like, like the sort of um, bureaucratic process of countries submitting films. I think he really objects to that. Yeah. So maybe revamping that system. Yeah. Cool. Okay. sounds a great pick. All right. I need to watch that one. Adam, number two. Oh man, this is a coin flip here. Two great, two great films, two you're great characters. You, you, yeah, you're supposed <laughs> to have this figured out before. Wow, you this is talking no, wait, this is great. This is great TV. This is great. You know, like what's he gonna pick? Breaking wow. news. And Adam one is of them, I, one of them, I'm reload too. So that's the that's the tricky part. <laughs> uh, where's my coins? I may flip a coin here. No, I. Either way, these are great films, both deserving a number one spots. But as of right now, for this episode, number two, Sound of Metal. Sound of Metal. Uh, anybody have it higher? I think I know everyone we else has already said it. Or no, but we haven't. We haven't talked about it yet. So I'm just Zach, are you sure. merlowing? No. 
No. Oh, okay. So, okay. okay. So, okay. This is where the highest spot. Okay. Cool. 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 All right. Wow. What a performance from Riz Ahmed. I wish uh, this is my uh, performance of the year. I think what he was able to do in this movie, uh, this is what um, acting, <laughs> acting looks like without even trying. He was just, it seems so flawless. Like in his performance here, I loved the, uh, the sound design. We talked about some sound design possessor, but this is by far what they were able to do with this. The lack of sound was fascinating. I was riveted glued to my screen just enjoyed uh, this 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 film and i got a little bit out of it a lot more as we went along and i thought about it more and i just I, when a film can stick with you in like in a good way that it, it means it's a classy classic uh film there and uh sound of metal just brought so many good elements to it with the storytelling and the character development and even like the side characters were very interesting like paul racine or paul racy who is one of my front runners, hopefully to get sneak in there. And when the film independent awards opens up there and we can actually vote for him, that's going to be one of the people I'm going to vote for too. So the, um, Paul Racy is fantastic as a Joe. And this one, Olivia cook, of course, a lot of people love her, but the, every, every performance in this movie was very authentic. And that's what the film feels like to me, a very authentic film led by Riz Ahmed. And he's not known for the star Wars anymore, guys. He, he is going to be an Oscar, hopefully nominated um, actor because and he he knocked out a park and he's going to be a force to reckon with not just because we've seen him do great things like the night of but the sound of metal was a truly uh like a p- power performance and a powerful film that stuck with me all year and again it could be my number one but right now we had to pick something i'm going with sound of metal number two all right todd i think you had it number four yeah uh, number four, yeah, I mean, I, I echo everything Adam said. I, I think it's the most interesting part is like it, it's about him like trying to hold on to like some semblance of his life. Like it's he's trying to hold yeah. on to his girlfriend and about his music, about his pride, and he's and yeah. like everything is thrown into this upheaval when he's put in that rehab clinic. And you could just, I mean, you could see it on his face and you could just feel it. And yeah, Paul Racy should be winning Best Supporting Actor. I think Olivia Cook and Riz Ahmed both should be nominated as well. I I think it's interesting, like, especially Paul Racy, it's like a, a completely new face is just sweeping awards season. And I, I yeah, think he's great. that good. And the sound design, as Adam was saying, is is just yeah. sensational. And it the more you hear about how they actually did it, makes it even that much more astonishing. And it's another debut film, which I think is crazy because it's just a stunner. Like, I think it could be my number one in time the more I watch it. But yeah, yeah right now I have a number four. Yeah, so, I had it. I had it number three, and uh, and it was, it's so grounded and and like you guys said, authentic. It is. It's just a beautiful film, and and the performance Riz Ahmed is able to give in this that is just outstanding, and uh, and how they're able to in in the production of this get into his head and let you hear what he hears. It is just remarkable. And uh, I think I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. If you've seen Sound of Metal and you liked it, a great companion piece for this is a documentary that was nominated for Best Documentary in 2000 called Sound and Fury, which uh, mm. looks at um, looks at a family of deaf people that is looking into the implants that Riz Ahmed gets in this. And, um, and almost like the ostriches... They're ostracized. I'll say it that way um, from the rest of the deaf community because they feel like the the deaf community is saying that you're saying you're 
we're not good enough for you basically. And so mm. it's a, it's a fascinating documentary that looks at um, and, and discusses what is going on with the Riz Ahmed character in this. I'd watched it earlier in the year as part of my watch all the Oscar nominees thing. And, uh, and I'm so glad I watched that before I watched uh, sound of metal, because it really informed me on what was actually going on in that movie and really helped, uh, help define that movie for me a little bit more. Yeah. So I did not Merlot the sound of metal um, because it is not higher on my list. It is my number two of the year. So oh, well, there you go. I and you were, that, you were next to talk about it. So keep going. Well, and I thought that it was more appropriate that Adam talk about it first because he had seen the movie and he sent me a text that said it, how awesome it is. I'd never really heard of this movie. I think when we had even said we were going to review it, I'm like, what is this? And 10 minutes into the movie, I, I thought, what, wait, what is this? What's going on here? Um, what, an, what a movie. I, this is why we go to movies. We go to movies to live other people's lives, to see what the world is like through their perspective. I'm not a rock musician. I'm not someone who's part of the deaf community. I'm not an addict. I'm not uh, you know, in a relationship in the way that the Riz Ahmed character is in this movie um, with his girlfriend, um, Olivia Cook, who's also great in this movie, by the way, not getting the attention that she deserves. Absolutely. But when you watch this movie, you, you learn this guy's life very quickly. He is a multidimensional character. Uh, he resists um, you know, going to the ear doctor. He resists so much in this movie. And so much of what his resistance is from is from his addiction. And the movie is not heavy-handed in that, in that way at all. A lesser filmmaker would have indulged in a scene of relapse, for example, or flashbacks or some sort of device. And the movie never does that because um, as a movie about addiction, it knows that it's about someone who is trying to remove themselves from that. And, you know, it, I, th I think it's it, it genuinely powerful stuff. Um, I, echoing everything you guys said, uh, it's, it's why we go to the movies. I mean, to, to live other people's lives, to see the world through their perspective. And this movie just does it tastefully and beautifully. And, uh, yeah, it can't, can't speak higher. higher. <laughs> so just to throw it out there, Sound and Fury is a $3.99 rental on Apple TV, a $7.99 buy, if any of you are interested. I found it at my local library. You can probably find a DVD of it there. I feel like we might know what the consensus almost sideways number one of the year is after after talking about this. But uh, all four yeah, of us, I mean, all right. Well, I think I'm next here for for number two, um, since Zach didn't quite un didn't didn't uh, stop Adam from talking about it. So number two on my list. All right. So it's 2020. The rules don't really apply. <laughs> Um, and that, and I don't even know if the, if the rules applied, if this would still pop up on my list, it probably would. Um, for a while I thought it was going to be my number one and I was going to kind of be like apologetic about it being my number one, uh, because I, in a similar way that I was apologetic about OJ made in America being my number one, it's like, okay, I know it's kind of cheating, but I have to count it. And if I count it, it's up there, but it, it ended up being my number two. And it is um, something that uh, I think uh, I was more obsessed with than any any other movie this year. And it is Alexander Hamilton. His name is Alexander Hamilton. Hamilton, my number two. I mean, how, it, it's how do you not love Hamilton, right? I mean, it, it is the genius of Lin-Manuel Miranda um, and... 
and the the genius really and this is one of the reasons why i'm not uh i'm not that sorry about it being on my list is because the filmmaking that they were able to do in putting this together and making it a compelling film and uh and filming it and and presenting it in a way that it was meant to be seen it was amazing and the editing work that was done on this was awesome they took three separate performances live performances and videoed it from different areas and then took an entire day to get some of the close-ups and some some of the shots they missed and edited it all together to make it feel like you're watching one combined live performance uh it is it is remarkable uh, the, 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 the music is undeniable. The performances, obviously from what the Tonys did, they gave what I think three different actors, uh, Tony awards at one best musical. It's probably going to be all over the golden globes. Who knows if it'll sneak into any Oscar conversations. Um, but the power of Hamilton, the, the, uh, emotion of Hamilton, the amazing lyrical work that Lin-Manuel Miranda was able to do with Hamilton. It's undeniable. And then add on top of that, the editing work that was done to make this a legit movie and, and make it feel as, as great as it did watching it. I mean, this is a movie I could watch more than almost any other movie I've ever seen. And uh, it is, it's, it's on my list because of it. So number two, Hamilton. Nice. Good stuff. I just got your number one. I got to I got (laughs) to (laughs) pick. So I I don't consider Hamilton a movie. I do not list it as one of my 75 movies I saw this year. But I echo everything Terry says about it. It is a great experience. Although I can't honestly say, I don't think I've ever sat down and watched it from beginning to end. I've, I've only seen it in pieces. But uh, yeah, it's it's cool. And the rules don't apply in 2020. So more power to you, Terry. Well, I mean, like I said, it, it's kind of... OJ Made in America made my list, and it was number one on my list. And I didn't sit down and watch that all in one sitting, but uh, it was being considered as a movie, and so it has to be considered as a movie. And I think I don't think Hamilton's eligible for Oscars, though. It's eligible for Golden Globes. Well, I think it is eligible for Oscars. It was supposed to have a theatrical run at some point, and they yeah. they fast tracked it and and put it on Disney Plus instead. Like it, it like sometime like summer twenty twenty one, it was going to get a theatrical release. I think yeah. Disney Disney should win a Nobel Prize because think of how many lives were saved by people staying inside their house all summer long and watching Hamilton. Although evidently not that many people's lives were saved, unfortunately. But I'm sure a few were. <laughs> and making it three hours long, brilliant move in the COVID era. You know, just stay home, man. Just watch Hamilton on repeat. Definitely the movie I watched more than than anything else this year. It's been a few months since I've watched it. But the month it came out, I probably watched it like 10 or 12 times, partially because my kids were obsessed with it, too. That's pretty cool. With that trade right. off of Hamilton, we did get Artemis Fowl, which was not a good Disney Plus movie. So. <laughs> well, there, there is that. There is that. <laughs> All right. Well, Zach already gave his number two. So we are moving into number one. Todd. All right, my number one. I reviewed it on the podcast maybe like six months ago. I said it was the best movie I'd seen so far in 2020, and it was never overtaken. It is Blue Story, directed by Rapman or Andrew on Wubaloo. Um, nice. It is available on Prime, Hulu, and Epics. It is an ad- adaptation of his YouTube series about a friendship of two black youths in London on different sides of the tracks. You have Timmy, who is a nice kid from Deptford, but he goes to school in Peckham 
where he becomes best friends with Marco, who is more of like a troubled streetwise kid. And their loyalties are tested when they're a gang war kind of breaks out between the two neighborhoods. Um, the movie is put together by inserting wraps between the, the chapters, which fill in the blanks. And they are done with a just undeniable passion and emotion, similar to almost like blind spotting or something. Um, all the young actors are incredible. Actually, Steve McQueen stole like five actors from this for small acts. Like every episode in small acts, I was like, Oh, there's Killian, there's Hakeem. And look, look, there's Marco. Like, and I can't blame him because these, these are the future leading men and women of the UK. And it's obvious watching the movie. They are all incredible. I watched it twice just to make sure I wasn't going crazy because the movie is an absolute killer. It's a, just a, a blistering masterpiece. And it's an assault on your emotions and on your senses. And it is by a reasonably wide margin, the best film of 2020 until I see Nomadland. <laughs> I like your disclaimer there. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I so I watched said, it. I watched sideways it last should... week. Oh, go ahead. No, 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 no. It's not. It was not a funny joke. It was not going to be funny. Go ahead. <laughs> now it's been built up. It's like Pulp Fiction. The joke has been built up. Uh, well, I was going to say, I think Blue Story is really good too. I watched it because I, I knew Todd liked it so much. Um, it's not on my top ten, but. It is a really watchable movie, and um, it has a sort of energy that feels almost like you're. If, I think the comparisons of Ratman to like Martin Scorsese's in, in the '70s not terrible comparisons. Like there is a lot of fluid camera movement in this movie. There's the, this kind of rap uh, chorus to it that's really cool, um, and it doesn't feel like Chirac. I mean, it feels much more organic in a way, and and more appropriate to the story. And um, I thought the story was a little predictable. That was maybe my biggest issue with it, but I did like how the characters evolved and did sometimes do some surprising things. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's definitely a cool experience. Nice. All right. All right. It's a Tell Todd to watch that sure. one. Uh, well, that explains it. <laughs> what did he say? I said that explains it. Well, no, what did he say? I said that it was a Todd, a Todd movie. Oh, it's a it, Todd. Ha- oh. It, it, ha- it has some alpha dog in its DNA for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, he, his next movie he's remaking uh, a profit, which will oh, be- perfect, uh-huh. <laughs> nice. All, All right. right, Adam, number one. All right, number one. Oh my goodness, this is the movie I was really excited to watch. If you guys, uh, you guys were kind of surprised that I put this director's film in one of my top tens of the decade, and that is Thomas Vinterberg's another round thomas vinderberg did the hunt and another round follows this group of four friends and they do a social experiment where they have to keep their uh blood alcohol level at a certain point to go through the day and they can only drink during working hours uh, this is a fascinating film i enjoyed this film so much and uh if, again another one movie that really kind of felt like these these four guys were just kind of going through live just kind of just floating by and it felt like another film that felt really authentic to me and i think i just really like love mads mickelson and everything he does other than polar which was not really good that movie. Was horrible <laughs> oh wait i should probably do this too anyway uh but mads mickelson I was gonna say, you're 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 kind of lacking on the on the yeah, uh, switchboard there adam there we go <laughs> uh, hit the clicker yeah, i get the clicker <laughs> but yeah I, I really loved another round i've i've was hearing so many great things about this and this one definitely could be the 
the front runner of international films. And I think Mads Mikkelsen, you know, needs to get an Oscar nomination at some point. I'm not quite, or another one, or, you know, just get recognition, more recognition because he's, he's fantastic and everything. Uh, but, you know, it follows uh, Thomas Bo Larson, Lars Rathen, and Magnus uh, Malling. Uh, and they're all fantastic friends and uh, seeing the the slowly uh, de-evolution of this experiment happen play out through the screen and how every relationship that happens with these characters with their drinking kind of slowly breaks down or kind of evolves into something differently than they were thinking i thoroughly enjoyed it 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 has more of an uh, an interesting ending to it that is maybe a little more you know gets puts a little put a smile on my face which made it fun but seeing these these characters progress through the film was just really fascinating and something that I was just, I needed, I wanted to watch this movie for so long and it, it paid off and everything. I'm really needing to watch more of this guy's films because I love the hunt. And uh, I think this is, he connects with me somehow in his storytelling that it just makes me really love his film. So I definitely have to check out more of Thomas Vinterberg's movies. So yeah, another round number one. Let's have another round tonight. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Tie it all together there. Uh, yeah, this is another one that was on my list of what I wanted to try and catch this week and didn't quite get to. So hopefully in the next week or two, I uh, I hit up those couple movies that I that are on lists that I wanted to see. Oh, yeah. You should. It's uh, really good. Like it's, it's great. It's great. I think everyone should like it anyway. Good. Good. Yeah. All right. So number one on my list uh, has kind of been spoiled because it, I merloed it and it hasn't popped up yet. So here we are. Number one on my list, Promising Young Woman. Uh, we just talked about it. I think it was just last week. Uh, and uh, it turned out being my number one of the year. Um, and it was going to take something really special to dethrone Hamilton from that spot. And this was that. Uh, I haven't stopped thinking about it since I watched it. It, it, it just kind of gets into your head and and you can't get rid of it. Uh, Carrie Mulligan gives one of the best performances of the year. Uh, the, the story is told in such an original way, um, and, uh, and the way she kind of navigates her way through the, the script and the, the plot is just magnificent. Um, wouldn't it be great if on Oscar Sunday we end up with Riz Ahmed and Carrie Mulligan winning Oscars? I mean, wouldn't that just be like the ideal? It's not going to happen, but it would just be awesome. Uh, I, I love this movie and I love everything about it. Um, like I said, we just talked about it last week, but um, it it just completely floored me. And uh, and yeah, I haven't stopped thinking about it. It is the one movie I spent $20 on uh, during all of this to rent. And I find it funny that the only movie Todd spent that on and the only movie I spent that on both ended up in our top fives. So uh, there you go. Number one, Promising Young Woman. Sweet. I will take it over. This was my number three. I spent 20 bucks on it as well, but I also did that for a couple other movies, which did not make my top 10 all the time. But anyway, uh, Promising Young Woman was a very cool, sexy film. I really love this movie as well. Uh, I, you know, I, I kind of really love these revenge stories, but you know, it wasn't really, uh, we didn't get the brutality like I thought it was, but it also was very like kind of a subtle, you kind of had to like think about what she was actually doing, but it was actually really cool. I, I loved Carrie Mulligan in this movie, another film, like again, what Terry said, I kept on thinking about it, really enjoyed it. And I think the style of this film really kind of pushed it up there for me. And I hear, 
you know, hearing so many great things about this. Uh, one of the better performances of the year from Carrie Mulligan. I would love to see her get some recognition. I know there was some, you know, some conversation on the last uh, podcast you guys did if she gets in, if she not, doesn't get in, but all valid points you guys made. And, but for me, Promising Young, Young Woman was a super enjoyable, fun time watching this film. And again, it's, this, this kind of topic of film is a little hard for like my wife to watch at times because, you know, based off the, some of the stuff that the elements that are revealed throughout this movie, but the film doesn't really show too much. It's, it's implied. And she was able to really enjoy this movie as well and loved it maybe even more than I did. So that's, uh, really speaks kind of testament to how this uh, filmmaker was able to push this movie this narrative through and promising young woman just a really fun time at the movie so and this actually if you guys are listening to this on the whenever this drops this actually is an audio clip on youtube now so make sure you guys check it out and check out the episode of the podcast too so boom boom and and something you mentioned that that i i really loved about it is how it doesn't show much uh i love movies that um that talk about what's going on but don't feel like they need to actually show it for the like, just you know just to throw it out there and and be and be overly graphic in that way. The yeah. fact that it it's all kind of hidden and mentioned, it still has the same power and almost more power because of it, and it makes what happens in the ending that much more shocking. Yeah, and I I I get the ending not necessarily quote unquote making sense, but. I didn't care. I, I I still really enjoyed how it everything was wrapped up, and uh, yeah, it was great to see all these characters, really likable characters, not be good guys. Like especially Smith, like being this totally scumbag guy, and he will always be Smith. So that's how I'll refer to him. So, but Bur- Bo Burnham is another one we didn't mention him today, but he's fit. he was great in this movie too. And hey, uh, Paris Hilton. I definitely downloaded that song again <laughs> after hearing that supermarket. One of the best scenes of 2020, I think. Yeah, who wants to go sing at a pharmacy now? Is that oh, going to be a thing? Seriously. We should do it, man. We should do it. I will say, like, the debate between Todd and Zach on on which three-star review was the correct three-star review was one of our best debates we've had on the podcast. Yeah, and I try to keep <laughs> as much of that in the clip as possible, too. I'm not even really sure what we disagreed on, but I think it was just everything. <laughs> you disagreed on everything, but still like it the exact same amount. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's a good movie. I, you know, it's certainly watchable. It, it It's, I guess, surprising and unpredictable in some ways. I think Carrie Mulligan is the best part of it. And I think... I don't know. I could see her beating out Frances McDormand at the Oscars. I I, I think she's going to get a nomination, and uh, she's done a lot of great work over the years. This is not a role that you would maybe expect her to take, but um, at this point of her career, it's a really interesting one, and she's by far the best part of the movie. I wish she had had a slightly more you know tuned in screenplay, but um, her, her scenes are you know she's great. She has a great presence on screen. All right. Zach, number one. Uh, Adam was going to add something. I'm curious. Oh, no. I, a question to Todd. Uh, is this a f- because film independent? <laughs> is this something you would vote for, Todd? Is this a performance, Carrie Mulligan? Well, is it? Well, what was it all nominated for? I mean, no, no, I, I'm just saying Carrie Mulligan's performance specifically. Well, would it be my number one choice in the category? Yeah. Would you vote for Carrie Mulligan or was it another one? I know we haven't seen No Man Land. Well, I mean, yeah. I don't know. I mean, Viola Davis is still right up there too. I mean, it, it's sure. right, and it, that that actually that category is actually really stacked. 
Yeah, that's that's a tough one. Anyway, we'll talk about that later. But anyway, just so, wanted to so, ask. So it, 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 we are referencing Todd and Adam are both now members of Film Independent and get a vote on the Independent Spirit Awards. So that's what they're talking about here. We're and, gonna make uh, a podcast episode for that too. We're making a podcast episode <laughs> yeah, they, of what they, we're voting. They get, they get a uh, yeah. They get screeners. They get to see stuff ahead of time to try and help them vote on the Independent Spirit Awards, which is just really cool. Anyways, that's what they're talking about. Last one, Zach, number one. Well, that's good because my number one is, I believe, also nominated for several Independent Spirit yeah. Awards. Um, it is uh, the movie that I also named at our midway point, my favorite movie of the year. I don't think that's ever happened before where the midway movie ended up being my number one movie. Um, although I, I do think we had a pretty good second half of the year 2020. But um, I think I pretty much knew when I saw this movie was it was going to be high on my list. And, and that movie is Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, which I believe was Adam's number nine. Okay, um, hold on. You, you, you title right. You guaranteed that Tiger Tail was going to be on your top ten of the year when we reviewed that shit. Well, okay, I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm not the most consistent person in the world, but uh, okay. Tiger Tail was my number eleven. If, if anyone's interested, but it, it is not my number one movie of the year. Zach, uh, prone to hyperbole. I've, I've been told that before. <laughs> I know Adam liked Tiger Tail, but we're not talking about Tiger Tail. We're talking about um, Never Really, Sometimes Always, which is Eliza Hitman's um, movie, which. Is getting some well-deserved Oscar buzz. It tells the story of 17-year-old Ad- uh, Adam, Autumn, who lives in Pennsylvania. <laughs> Not 17-year-old Adam from Washington, but that would make an interesting movie too. I don't know. I would say I would never, rarely, sometimes see that movie. Um, but uh, Autumn is pregnant at the beginning of the movie and um you know the, it, it kind of the, the first 30 minutes of the movie are not too dissimilar to juno except it's not funny um and uh eventually she seeks out her cousin skylar or maybe the, the cousin seeks her out and they decide to plot this scheme to go to new york where abortion laws are much less restrictive and so um and i, I you know their family is not aware of it and uh, it's really about the, their journey, um, at, you know, and it's not maybe a New York you would expect. It's a New York that they're, okay, they're always in transit. They're like sleeping in the bus station and they don't really have a place to go at night. They hang out at the mall in the local arcade. Um, you know, the, the, title, the, the title gets its name from this riveting sequence where Sidney Flanagan as, as Autumn appears on screen in like a five minute unbroken take, which is, I think, the best acting of the year. And um, it's a movie that manages to be you know, personal about these characters and their evolution and their journey, but also very much about systems and institutions of oppression and patriarchy. Um, these, these are the kind of movies I like. I mean, in the sense that, you know, it's not a movie that's overtly trying to have a political message, but you can insinuate the message from everything that you're seeing on screen and the, 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 what these characters have to go through. Um, I, I love the opening sequence of this movie, which is Autumn singing um, a song. Uh, I think it tells you everything you need to know about the movie. It's, I think, one of the best opening sequences of any movie of the last few years and um the movie packs a powerful punch in the way that it is subtle and uh how you go on this journey with these characters um and you know you would expect again a lesser filmmaker would have indulged a bit maybe like kind of i was saying about sound of metal they would have made it more sensationalized or theatrical or melodramatic but really it's even even the moments of banality that these characters have is really kind of profound and uh the performances by sydney flanagan and talia Ryder they they would be my votes for best actress and best supporting actress eliza hit 
Whitman is a crazy talented filmmaker. I can't wait to see how her how her uh, career develops and what trajectory she goes. And uh, yeah, this movie affected me like no other movie this year. It's um, it's it's riveting. I know Terry was a fan of it too, and, and Todd as well. But uh, shame on you guys for not having it on your list. But it's it's a great movie that um, hopefully Oscars will remember. But usually my number one movies get uh, pretty ignored by the Oscars. But maybe there's a chance this year with COVID. So who knows. It's definitely in my honorable mentions. It, it just missed my list, and it, it is it is a remarkable movie, and yeah, it definitely is one that sticks with you after you see it, for sure. Yeah, yeah this was my number nine film, and I was kind of crazy how sometimes multiple films, similar subject matters, come out the same year. An HBO movie came out shortly after this one called Unpregnant, which similar kind of stuff, but this that one's not... Uh, worthy of watching this one never rarely sometimes always definitely packs a punch there it's another film that really feels like authentic and i think that's what this year was it just uh there's a lot of films that really felt like a real like you're watching real events play out on screen and seeing these characters take this journey together uh, was just really something about it just like brought motions to your uh, to you and uh, definitely one of the best performances and scenes played out with the title of the movie um that whole scene man just brought me wrecked me as well and um yeah this this movie that definitely a lot of people should watch that i feel like it's definitely going to be under the radar i kind of feel like the same way with like another movie sound of metal it's just like a lot of these little smaller films just under the radar but i'm glad that we're talking about them and they're worth remembering because how powerful they are so never rarely sometimes always did fall at number nine and it, it definitely deserves maybe be higher on my list but this is one I, i'll definitely have to rewatch again because i just remember the experience being so um, powerful that it made me kind of not want to watch it again because I'm not ready to take that emotional journey once more quite yet. So, yeah, I love the movie too. It was my number 21 of the year, and uh, I think Julia Ryder is the the highlight of the movie. I, I think it's interesting because that's a movie that has a premise that easily could have been like before sunrise or something. They could have just been like hanging out all night or something, but they can't because New York is gross. Like you can't stay outside because the city is disgusting. They can't get shelter because there's way too many homeless people and they already taken. They can't hang on the subway because they're worried about getting raped. Like this is an indictment of leadership of New York, which I think is really interesting as well. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a different, that's definitely a different way to kind of like dissect that film. That's actually great, great, great points right there. Yeah. And I, I think some people are going to go into this movie thinking it's a movie about abortion or it's about a political or social issue. And the truth is, I think regardless of anyone's stance on abortion or anyone's experiences with it, um, you know, it, it's a movie that's ultimately kind of like what Adam is saying about these two characters that you get to know really well over the course of the movie, two teenage characters who are still in like the stages of their learning about the world and they're not like smart alex like juno is you know i mean it, they're not world weary already like they are uh very unsure of themselves and like you watch you know um uh, sydney flanagan give that like music performance at the with the song he's got the power at the very beginning of the movie it's like that is a bold gesture that she makes there's another scene in the movie where she sings uh later and um it just tells you a lot about the character and she's uh, both of them are just fascinating um teenagers that you want to know more about and i think that, that's credit to the writing it's also just credit to the performances and what what both actors bring to them all right good 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 yeah Awesome. Okay, let's get into some honorable mentions quick before we uh, we wrap this thing up. Todd, what uh, what are your honorable mentions? 
All right. So basically my what, 11 through 15, uh, I have the Wolf of Snow Hollow, which is the mm. like cop vampire, not vampire, werewolf movie by Jim Cummings, which is just awesome. My number 12 was Pieces of a Woman. My number 13 was a documentary uh, that I re- really loved called Rewind. Uh, number 14 is Strummer that Zach talked about. And then my number 15 is Deerskin, which is the movie by Quentin Depew, who's a guy who did Rubber. This is like a really weird movie with uh, Jean Dujardin. And yeah, yeah, Deerskin is definitely worth checking out. I think it's streaming some places. but Jean Dujardin with uh, the guy who did Rubber? Really? Yeah. 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 Wow, that crazy. sounds fun. Yeah, it's freaking awesome sounding. All right, all right, Adam. All right, so my mention because 2020 is just a crazy year, so a lot of stuff, uh, you know, doesn't count. So I, some limited series. One limited series I really wanted to talk about the try. Um, the the oh man, what's the title? It's the Aaron Hernandez documentary on Netflix. That was like oh, okay, the, inside the mind of Aaron Hernandez. That was a really just like interesting take and uh, structure. And also McMillions, which was an HBO like McDonald's, like they rigged the the Monopoly game. Very fascinating documentary series uh, for both of those. But we're talking about movies. Number eleven for me was the Forty Year Old Version, just missing out. Number twelve uh, was Monsoon with Henry Golding, which is a very fascinating um, uh, journey back to vietnam film which i really love that one uh 13 was wolf walkers 14 tiger tail which we uh zach and i both reviewed on well yeah actually we all reviewed but uh, zach and i really liked a lot and number 15 was yes god yes which was is actually streaming on netflix it's actually really good and i want to throw out rent a pal which was um a film that the director actually uh retweeted my like that i said that was a really good film so you guys should check it out it's a really kind of creepy horror film about like the the, the but online, it's like dating, online dating, but before online, it was like VHS dating. And also, I'll throw out Sonic the Hedgehog, which was nowhere near nearing to be on my top 10, but it was the last film I was able to see in theaters with my dad. And it was just one of those fun family experiences. So I wanted to mention out and give a shout out to Sonic the Hedgehog. So really fun time there. So that movie was so much fun. Way better than it should be. <laughs> yes, so much better than it should be. Absolutely. Especially after the production hell it went through trying to get to the screen. Yeah, uh, let's re- let's redo the whole entire CGI with the hedgehog. Let's do it before it comes out. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, my my honorable mention number eleven was Mangrove, which uh, which Zach talked about. Number twelve was a film that was nominated for international film last year, and that's Corpus Christi, uh, oh, okay. about um, an escaped prisoner that ends up masquerading as a priest. Um, fascinating film. Number thirteen, Defy Bloods by Spike Lee. Uh, really cool. Uh, number 14, never, rarely, sometimes, always. And number 15, uh, Adam just mentioned it, the 40-year-old version. Brought a blank. Brought a blank. Oh, yeah. Poverty porn. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my number 11 was Tiger Tail, which I knew I was going to get shit for because I didn't put it on my top 10. I apologize. You know, it, it's still a really good movie, though. Um, Alan Yang is is uh, really, really talented. Uh, number 12 is uh, The 24th by a uh, friend of the podcast, uh, Kevin Wilmot, which depicts the... Uh, is a- he, though? Is well, he though? I, I think we can call him a friend of the podcast. Why hey, not? Man, I'm still waiting. Connections. Hey, when you get the interview going, 
Well, he's you know he's busy. I mean, he did the Five Bloods and the Twenty Fourth, and he's doing other stuff. Like the guy, the, you know, the guy's busy. I mean, you know, I do see him every once in a while, though. I have to say, shout out to LFK. Anyway, um, <laughs> it is uh, about the Houston riot in 1917, a big uh, race riot um, by an all black infantry. Um, again, like Mangrove, another episode, uh, episode of history that doesn't get a lot of attention. Very much worth checking out. Number thirteen is seventy five hundred, which we reviewed on this podcast. No one liked it except for me. But hey, I think JGL kick some ass in that movie he's not a streisand like mac damon and uh he uh is pretty awesome um and uh he's a pilot who uh fends off um a a hijacking number 14 is driveways by uh the filmmaker andrew ann uh the story of a uh, mother and son who go to the mother's sister's house to clean it out and they befriend this elderly neighbor played by brian dennehy in his last performance and number 15 is young ahmed by the dardem brothers because i think i'm contractually obligated to put the Dardenne brothers every movie they make somewhere in my top list this is not one of their best movies but it is a really interesting movie about um, a young Muslim um, teenager in Belgium who uh, basically gets sort of indoctrinated and develops these uh, you know pretty extremist views about uh, radical Islam I would also say this didn't make my honorable mentions per se but I did want to shout out the way back the Ben Affleck movie because um, it was the last movie I saw in theaters it's March 11th and I really liked it. And I always thought all year that I was going to put it on my top 10 list just to say, make a statement about going to movies. But um, it is a movie that has stuck with me. Even It's not a great movie, but in a way, it was sort of the perfect last movie to see in theaters because um, it wasn't brilliant, but it was a great experience at the movies. And uh, I will now forever associate that movie with COVID, which is not the point of that movie, but, you know, <laughs> whatever. I'll, I'll throw it out there then too. My last trip to the movies, I did a double feature of Emma and oh, wait, the way wait, back. Wait. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, Emma was the better of the two movies. Way back's good, but Emma's really, really good. I think mine was impractical jokers. The movie. <laughs> nice. I, I remember mine. Uh, mine was a double feature of birds of prey with, bo- uh, bad boys for life. Bad boys for life. Number one at the box office for the year. Oh, yeah. But see, but Todd's been back to the theaters. Have, 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 has anyone else been back? I haven't. Oh, I totally forgot. I did go back to the theaters. I went to see Freaky. I totally forgot about that. Freaky with Vince Vaughn. Oh yeah, yeah I, I went back I see that. Yeah. a handful of times since then. But like before, like the four month or so hiatus. Yeah. 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 Theaters never opened here. <laughs> They're closed again. So yeah, we're yeah. not not for a while. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's go over some overall totals here. So. This is really interesting. So um, there are 31 movies represented on our top tens. Uh, this is the most ever. Uh, we have we've I we've calculated this all the way back to 1970 of uh, finding out what our top tens are. Never have we had 31 movies represented in all of our top tens. This is the most ever. The closest before this was 1987 when 30 films were were represented in our top tens. Um. There were only six overlaps. This is uh, the most since 1980, or the least since 1985, when there were also six. And then in the, I think in 1981 or 1980, there were four. Other than that, we've always had more. There's some years where we've had six that were on three lists, uh, which just shows how crazy this year has been. Okay, so with all that said, here is... Our overall top five of the year. I take into account where everyone placed it and how many overlaps it had. So 
Number five is Never Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Good. Number four is A Son. Number three, Promising Young Woman. Number two, Palm Springs. And yeah. number one, Sound of Metal. <laughs> oh, that's a great, that's an awesome that top five. That is such a crazy top five. I love it. I would love never it. have guessed that when the year started. Would <laughs> never have guessed that. All right. Well, uh, let's wrap this up with a quote of the day. And Todd, let's go to you first. All right. My quote comes from a movie I just watched this week that was nominated for a Spirit Award for Best First Screenplay. It is uh, a quote by Katie Findlay, who plays Rory in Straight Up. And uh, she says, hey, you know that saying, um, shoot for the moon, even if you'll miss, you'll land among the stars. I did some research, and apparently the closest star, excluding our sun, is still four light years away from Earth. So if you miss the moon, you don't land on anything. You just float aimlessly in space until you die. And that kind of describes this podcast. <laughs> I That's love good. that. That's amazing. All right, Adam, what do you got? All right, so mine is not from a film this year, but it kind of describes the year. It's from Burn After Reading. It's uh, you got CIA Superior and Chad uh, Feldheimer talking, and it's a CIA Superior. Uh, what did we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. I don't effing know either. I guess we learned not to do it again. Yes, sir. I'm effed if I know what we did. That's pretty much how the year is described, I think. We have no idea what happened, but we got through it, and we're here. So, yeah, that's my quote of the day. I thought you were going to go with, uh, with, uh, let me know when, I don't know when it makes sense. Yeah. That, well, and that, that would describe the year too, <laughs> but I didn't, I couldn't find that on Rotten Tomatoes. So I was just like, this, this is close enough. <laughs> All right. Well, my, my quote of the day comes from a film that I've mentioned that I watched this week. It is the one and only tenant. It is, it comes in one of the final scenes. Um, Robert Pattinson, uh, looks back at, uh, John David Washington longingly and says, I'll see you in the beginning, friend. And that, yeah, that that's that that's like the climactic, like like quotable line to end the movie. And the, I was I was debating to go with that, or I am the protagonist, because your main character, like the 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 plot of the movie, is determining whether the main character is the main character or not. Like he's trying to decide if he's the main character of the movie. Am I the protagonist? I'm the protagonist. Yeah, yeah, that's the movie. Yeah, it's on your top ten, Adam. So the real question is: Can you understand? <laughs> can you understand that line? Like, could you decipher it, or was the audio so bad that you couldn't? You couldn't oh yeah, that, that's the other thing: is the sound design was supposed to, it was was horrible. So yeah, you can understand this one, but yeah, I'm excited right. for when. And it beats uh, Sound of Metal for best sound design. I know, right? <laughs> oh, my God. I, hey, I watched this on my phone, how Christopher Nolan wanted me to watch it, okay? <laughs> that was All like right. the film Twitter quote of the year. Go ahead. Zach, I don't know why, but I'm leaving you the last word. So my quote of the day comes from Soul, which was on, I think, two of our lists. And it comes from the character Joe. And he says, music is all I think about. From the moment I wake up in the morning to the moment I fall asleep at night, I was born to play. It's my reason for living. And I feel like that's the way we feel about movies. And maybe it's not the way we feel about each other or this podcast, but uh, we're not that far off. So, you know, like Joe, um, we're, you know, just staying passionate about movies, even though a few of us are now teachers and um, maybe not 
maybe not voting members of the Independent Spirit Award. We still dream. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's all good. I, I think this might be the first time where I, I accurately picked who should have gone last because that's an awesome way to end this. So with that, we're going to bring this podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back at you next week with some more content. Until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Boom. Despite your cross behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.